Welcome to Color Me Dead. This is a true crime podcast, and we talk about murder and fuckery most foul in detail while using the darkest of humor. If you don't like words like fuck and cunt, then you probably shouldn't listen. But if you do, then join us while we fuck your feelings. Hello to all of the folks in Color Me Dead land. We're here. Yellow. For you. With episode 137. It's about 136 or 7. 136 or 7. 7. That's a lot of them. It's a lot of episodes. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, it's Color Me Dead. It's uh, Angel and Nikki, and we're back to talk about what is kind of, sort of, an unsolved. And it baffles my fucking brain. I have so many questions. I, and we're never, and this is the fun thing about true crime is that every now and again you will get a case that you will never ever ever have answers to and those are the things that keep me up at night and make me chew my nails like the people that do the unsolved cases like trace evidence aren't those all unsolved Uh, there's there's several that i don't know how you do that steven how do you steven steven (laughs) steven steven it is obscene the amount of unsolved things swirling about the I can't hand a lot. It's too much for my brain sometimes. But before we get into this, before we put on our muck boots and go trudging through the shit. Yeesh. If you want to find us on social media, you certainly can. We're on Instagram at Color Me Dead Podcast, Gory underscore Nikki, or Color Me Dead Angel. We're on Facebook. We have the Color Me Dead Podcast page and the group. And if you'd like to be ignored on Twitter, please do so at Color Me Dead Pod. I try to hop on there and check as much as I can. I get so confused still. I promise nothing. I know. It's been almost like it's two and a half years for me trying to figure out Twitter. I give up. <laughs> I think I'm done. No, I'm I don't kidding. know. Twitter's just not we'll my, new, it's not it my universe. I think that if I could figure it out, like I was the same way with Instagram. Once I figured out Instagram, that's like my favorite one now. So maybe I'll get Twitter one day. Maybe. Maybe one Perhaps. D. You can also go to ageofradio.org slash color me dead. You can check out our show. You can listen to our show there. If any of your apps are ever having issues, you can go listen to our shows there. You can listen to the shows of the other folks that are on our network you can shop our bazaar and you can donate to our patreon with the patreon button there you can also go to patreon.com slash color me dead we have tiers from one dollar to 75 dollars there are now so swords on there for patreon so swords. i have a few in the backlog that are going to be coming out um, but you also get stickers and perks and all kinds of cool shit. And we're adding new cool shit from LeGraw Creations. Wee wee. She is a badass. Go check her out. I always look at her on Instagram. It's LeGraw Creations, but she's got. She has a web page. She's on Facebook. Yep. She is everywhere. Go look at her. I have, I, I have so many custom cups right now that I feel like I have a cup. I could have a new cup for every day of. At least two weeks. Probably. And I then I just I decided to do everything in a southern accent today. I like it. Except uh, for I'm going to go Jensen You're today. going Sister to Jensen. <clears throat> deep Utah and southern. That's gross. Enjoy yourselves, All guys. Right. It's, it's about to change because we're going to go New York. But uh, so Patreon, 
you can go to Patreon. You just talked about Patreon. Yes, but you can still go there. And, and thank you. To all of our Patreons. All y'all motherfuckers. You should have all gotten stuff. I got I got a little bit sent back because one I forgot to put a stamp on. Oh, good. Yeah, this awesome. happens. I have some that have been returned yes, that some. I cannot get a hold of. So if you have not gotten your perks and you are a Patreon member or have been in the past, please let me know. Because I got one back for a bad address and I cannot get a hold of this person to get the new address. So if that is you... Let me know. Let me tell you something else. Tell me. About merch. Do you like some merch? If you guys want merch, you can go to colormedead.threadless.com. Colormedeadpod.threadless.com. We got to throw that pod in there. Pod. Colormedeadpod.threadless.com. Go check it out. We will be adding some new designs soon. Yes. For more stuff. But you guys can get on there. You can get everything from clothing to home decor to functional things like shower curtains. Yeah. You know what? As far as merch, too, I'll give you a little secret. You can have special things made by LeGras, too. With our logo. Yeah. And she's done a cool, sweet design just for us. If you want that design, you got to get it from LeGras. And we'll post it so you can see it. It's a little, it's like a true crime trinity the Holy Trinity. Yeah, but it's... Blood headphones, and it's got our little initials, and it says the order of the chalk line, and it has a thumbprint. It's fucking badass. It's dope as shit. Patreons will start getting stuff like that soon. Mm-hmm. If you guys want to send us things, you certainly can. That you can. Mail that is called fan mail. Oh, I like it. Fan mail. Send Go- it to my fan box. Yeah. <laughs> This is where the mail goes for my fan box. <laughs> Send it directly to my fan box. Ah, uh, P.O. Box 1610, Vernal, Utah, 84078. That's the new, that's what we're calling it from now on. Fan box. Send it to the fan box. Send it to the fan box. It's a P.O. Box. I'm going to go check the fan, the fan box, box and see if it's full. Because I love it when the fan box is full. All right. You ready? All right. I guess we should focus and do it. Yeah, let's get lit. All let's right. do it. Let's do it. Do it. For those of you who were paying attention in 2009, you would have come across a national tragedy. Not national tragedy. I shouldn't say it like that. But the news story was broadcast nationally as one of the biggest tragedies since the 1920s in New York. What I'm talking about today is the taconic tragedy of 2009 when Diane Schuler drove the wrong way on the taconic freeway or taconic highway for two miles before she crashed head on into another vehicle. With killing eight people. Yeah, because she had a car full of kids. Children. Now, it was considered the most heinous since 1934, okay? So. In 1934, there was actually a bus accident, and the in the bus accident, there were about 34 people that were killed. Damn. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to get into the details of that, because that accident has nothing to do with what we're talking about today today. So, Diane Schuler was born Diane Hans to Warren Sr. and Ellen, oh, excuse me, Eileen. 
Eileen Hansen, Floral Park, New York in 1972. She was only nine years old when her mom and dad divorced and her mom left the family. Now, it's rumored that her mom had an affair with a neighbor who was also a family friend and that was the cause of divorce. Diane stayed with her father and her brothers instead of living with her mom. She took on the responsibilities of the woman of the house and was said by all to be very mature, very reliable. And even at a young age, she took on, I mean, nine years old, that's a lot to take on a lady of the house role. With big brothers and a dad and... Right. Yeah. She was the fourth child and the only girl in the Hans family. Now, as most of you know, when parents divorce, it is generally the mother that the children stay with. Mm-hmm. Now, they can they can choose, you know, yeah. whom, whom they want to reside with. But every single child in that house was like, I'm staying with my dad. So, just remember that. The, yeah, that, yep, yep. None of Diane's friends ever really heard much from Diane about her childhood. She didn't openly discuss it with anybody. Um, It was said that her mom had tried to reconcile with Diane and the family and had successfully made contact and had a little bit of a relationship with the brothers, but Diane never did. She held fast to a grudge, and she was that person that, like, if she didn't like you, you knew, and she could hold on to that. For a long, long time. I feel you, sister. Diane was a really good student, and she was the life of the party. It was said that she was kind of the class clown, the very popular and beloved. Um, When it came to, like, you know, in the senior yearbook, where it's, like, most likely to do this, most likely for this, she was nominated for seven of them. Holy hell. Like, most likely to... um, Oh, now I can't even remember. Like, you know, who had the greatest smile? She did. Who had the best personality? She did. Who was most likely to become a comedian? She was. So this girl um, really, I mean, she was charismatic and really just, everybody loved her. Mine would have been most likely to, wait, who is she? (laughs) What was that? Who is she? Who Who are we talking about? I don't know her. I don't know who that is. (laughs) Um. Diane struggled with her weight as a youngster, but she had lost a a considerable sum of weight prior to a wedding of a close friend, and all of her friends said that she had never looked better. She was very confident. She cut off the long hair. She had a short hairdo. She'd lost all this weight. She was smiling. At this wedding is where she met her husband, Daniel Schuler. Danny and Diane were together for a total of 13 years. They had two children, Brian and Aaron. They'd built a life together in New York where Daniel was working as a public safety officer for New York and Diane had worked her way from the bottom up at Cablevision where she was earning a six-figure executive income. The pair had spent seven years together before having children. Which is smart. Tell your kids. I was actually just having this thought. You know how you randomly have thoughts when you're busy, which is my random thoughts. But I was thinking about this morning for God knows what reason. I was like, I'm going to tell my kids to... Five years married. I think three to five. Because that's five years is the rough spot. Wait till you get through that rough spot. Then start to have children. I think that um, you need to treat your marriage a little bit like a uh, first offender prison sentence. Right. Like, well, my first one, I we didn't have kids. We were married for four years. Didn't have kids. Got divorced like 
we're done. Wipe hands. We don't yeah, need easy to deal peasy. with each other anymore. We you realize don't have, it didn't work. We're done. Yeah, you don't have like a ton of assets. You don't have children. You don't have... You just walk the fuck away. However, with Clint, we got pregnant six months after we got married. So there's that. Well. <laughs> well. Turder. <laughs> hey. I was getting old. Shit. Shit. Time well, was a ticking. I really think that, that people need to get through the the initial honeymoon phase of living mm-hmm. together and banging all the time and then they really need to see like you got to settle into that four seasons oh yeah because nobody is the same in winter as they are in summer and you need to learn that like people fart and you need to learn that no they don't yes they do nikki ask clint how many years we were together for 12, i remember 11 you... or 12 years and i think i farted in front of him once and I was pregnant. Yeah, I know. I remember. And I, I I've heard you fart. I wouldn't. Now I don't care. Ever since we got divorced, he's he's like, oh God, no. <laughs> I liked it better the old way. No, I don't care. I fart. But I think people need to spend about three to five years together. You guys need to like. You need to get into. You need to get in sync with each other before you like. You know when you start juggling. And there's two balls and you do it in one hand and you're like, yeah, this is badass. And then you go throw that other ball in there and you're like, oh, fuck, I don't know how to do this. This sucks. Well, and I Back fe- to two. Yeah. You can't do that with Mm-mm. kids. And I feel like five year, the five year markers where shit always it tends to get a little bit rough. So get past that five year and then you can have kids. Yeah. That's just my advice. Yeah. My advice. Well, anyway. So what makes this case noteworthy yeah what does it why should we cover it why should we do you know what that freaks me out that she reminds me of me in so many ways but there's a lot that's that's different but there are a lot of things of like god damn that's just like me that's just like me that's just like me you know what i mean i'm like fuck this is scary we'll tell you why why we should cover this because it's not just a matter of like it's not simple explanation right this is why i have so many questions Diane was a loved, was a loved, smart, hardworking person who was described by many as a bit of a control freak, always in charge, a responsible woman. She did not have a history of drug or alcohol use. She was not known as a skid. There's nothing, no evidence that explains what happened or why she drove into the northbound Taconic Highway heading south. No one, not even her closest friends, have an explanation. Several of Diane's childhood and school friends were interviewed in the documentary called Something's Wrong with Aunt Diane. And wasn't that on Hulu? Is that where we watched it? No, Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. Prime. They admitted to having lost contact with Diane several, several years prior to her accident. They admitted that there was no real reason that the friendship stopped. It just did. So here's the thing. When they're discussing it, I don't know if that is 100% truthful and honest. There are two girls that are being interviewed, right, side by side. They're sitting on the couch together. And the one girl, um, blonde-headed lady, is like, I don't know. There was no falling out. There was no this. There was no that. It just didn't. Like, we stopped calling. We stopped texting. We just didn't. And the dark-haired girl seemed to be a little... Like, if you watched her face... She does not have a good poker face. My theory with this um, is when you get into maybe an emotionally abusive relationship mm-hmm. or, and, and it doesn't even have to be, immu- like, he's, he seemed a little controlling to me. Maybe I'm crazy. 
I don't know. And I'm, I'm still just throwing ideas because this, this case kills me. I can't get it. So her being a control freak, as someone who used to tend to be a control freak with things, it was because that was the one thing I had control of. There were certain things that I had control of, and I was a control freak about those things. And that was how the dishes got put away or, you know, stupid shit. The things that I had control of, I was really over, over controlling on. And maybe I'm wrong. This is, and maybe I, I'll change my mind as we go through the episode. So too. Well, I, I want, I'll touch, but I'll get back to you on that one. But I think that maybe her husband distanced her from her friends I and think... the friends were upset with him about it. And maybe it wasn't an emotionally abusive thing either. Maybe they just distanced I think so here's what I'm here's what I'm thinking. Was he controlling? No, I don't think he was controlling. I think he was the exact opposite. And I think that's what drove her nuts. He wasn't a control freak. He was ah. like, You do it, you do it, you do it, you want it, you do it, you do it, you do it. That's and a she's good like, point. Fuck. So she did. And then you don't have time for friends. But I think that another facet of emotional abuse is that is that you yeah. fucking parasite. So yeah. I think there were other facets of the relationship that caused her to withdraw from her friends. Whether I think that dark haired girl, I don't think she liked Danny. I think I there is some bad blood there. And I yeah. think something happened. See, we got and I think to the same point kind of in different ways. But yeah, I'm with you. That's exactly my thoughts. Like Is that... So I think the I think the blonde friend that was being interviewed was an unfortunate casualty because when you start cutting out your friends, you cut. So there may have been some bad blood between the brunette and Danny that and Diane was too busy fucking handling everything. And she was like, fuck it. I'm married to this one. This one's my obligation. So I'm going to cut this one out. And this one is good friends with this one. And they're better friends. And you've already cut her out. And you're not answering my texts. Well, then I guess we're just not friends anymore. Nothing really happened. It's just an unfortunate byproduct of this. Yeah. and when But I think Daniel, Danny Schuler, we'll get into it. I'll, I'll, we'll go back. When you're that big of a control freak, you don't have time for friends. I you know don't, you're, this. You're too busy. You're too busy managing the lives and of things everybody of else. fucking everything else. Mm-hmm. And you don't have time for friends. And so maybe nothing did happen. And maybe the brunette's just pissed off because she's like, well, if somebody would have done something for the fucking self, maybe she could have had time. Perhaps. And I, I, th- I just get the, I get, I get the very distinct impression that the, I can't remember her name. I believe I have it written down in here somewhere, but the brunette young lady that's being interviewed, you can see the fucking disdain oh, yeah, on her face can. as she talks about. When she says nothing happened, it's like, mm. you can see. And when they talk about Danny, her little nose wrinkles, mm-hmm. but when she talks about Diane and she's like, you know, I was invited to her wedding, but I didn't go. She wasn't even there for the birth of my first child, and she got very emotional. So you can tell that it bothers her that their friendship dissolved for whatever reason. Yeah. But she just has, her face screws up when she talks about Danny. Oh, yeah. So, anyway. Well, Danny Schuler was born to Joseph and Irene Schuler, also of New York. Irene said that Diane was a wonderful person. She was very motherly and referred to Danny as her oldest child in her interview. Right there is where I would like to interject that during almost every single person's recollections of Diane, including Danny's own mother, talk about how much she was in control. You were in charge. She was the 
you know, head of the household. But to refer to your son and his wife as, oh, you know, she's very motherly. Danny was like her oldest child. You're like, fuck. So I really think that he was a coddled, right, lazy shit that was, you know, do it for me. And he had a very lovely Irish mother who did, in fact, do it all. And then when he meets Diane, this girl who's never really had a boyfriend, and this girl who, you know... She's looking for that person to love her unconditionally, because that is why I got married the first time. Right there, okay? And then he hit the jackpot. He already had somebody that was conditioned from the age of nine who chose to take care of the family and take care of the man and do everything for and da-da-da-da-da. So he has this person that he... It's And it's the first time that she's ever been in love. Shit, they were together for seven years before they had children. So obviously there was something, something you know? See, and that's where I'm getting at with the emotionally abusive because that is, it's the manipulation it to... He's percent you are correct. Yeah, he might be playing stupid so that she'll do everything because I've been in that situation where well, it's it, like, well, I don't know how you want it done. So you just do it. And then you jump you in and better. do everything. Yeah. You You're do better. it better. Or I, I don't have time. I'm tired. I uh, like, shouldn't you be doing this for me? And when you start getting into that, it is emotional abuse. And there's, yeah. there's more, we'll get into it. Yes. <clears throat> Sorry. I keep my own, my know. own thoughts keep taking all of it. I don't know where I am though. Um, Irene really didn't have anything bad to say about Diane. She was the boss. She made the decisions, but, um, she was an amazing mother and wife. She was always involved. PTA mom who did nice things for people and led the way for the family. Uh, her kids were always clean and dressed well. Who the fuck does that? Like my kids are about 75% looking good. If they got to go to school or got to go somewhere, we usually look good. Other than that, it's a shit. It's a it's a crapshoot at that point whether we're gonna look good or not at this house. I just um, the way that it was described, like her kids were never dirty, their hair was always done, their teeth were always brushed. Like she was always early. Um, one of the ladies that was interviewed that knew her was like, I live right around the corner from the preschool, and I was the second person there every day. Diane was the first, and she came from Babylon, which was like 20 minutes away, and she was still the first motherfucker there. Her kids were still dressed to the nines. Their hair, their, you know what I mean? I don't get that. I can't get my kids to get in the car in less than 20 minutes. (laughs) Especially in fucking preschool. Oh, my my God. God. So, yeah, I mean, but for all intents and purposes... For all intents and purposes, this woman had the appearance of really having her shit together. She did not have ADD. She did not. Because I, you know what? If I'm on time or even five minutes late, I'm like, wahoo, we win. (laughs) I I have strongly conditioned myself to be on time no matter what. But it took decade to, to get there. And it had to do with me losing a job for being consistently being tardy. Yeah. Um, that, and it really, really bothered me because I really liked that job. And so now I have conditioned myself to be at least 20 to 30 minutes early. You know yeah. what about me. Oh, yeah. I'm always fucking early. Yeah. And when you say that we're doing something at this time, I'm like, nope, it's really this time. It's really Because I'm always hour. early. 
And it's because I have disappointed so many people and I've disappointed and like upset myself so many times with my tardiness yeah. that now I am like hyper-focused on being early. Right. What? <laughs> my, not, dude, my kids, my, I can't, I'll have... I'll be ready. I'll completely be ready 45 minutes early and all the kids have to do is put their shoes on and we can still be late. I swear to God, something happens <laughs> between getting in the car and going where the fuck we need to go. Like last night, we were ready. We, I, I told Dave, I was like, just waiting for Calvin to get out of the shower real quick. He showers really fast. We should have been there on time. Well, the shoes were lost. We needed to go do this. I can't find any socks. I'm like, mother of God, I gave you 30 minutes to put your shoes on. Have you ever dealt with somebody... That is um, like an exit shitter. Addie. Okay, so Spencer has exit shitter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And basically this is as soon as a motherfucker is supposed to be leaving the house or like within a 10 minute period of like, okay, we're getting ready to go, blah, 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 blah. Spencer must take a shit. Yep. It is almost like Addie. that is a trigger word. Let's go or are you ready or those are trigger words for Spencer's colon to evacuate. And Addie's are, if we're going to go to the store. I'll make her go to the bathroom before we go to the store, but she gets the anxiety shits. And stores have always given her anxiety. She likes to go to the stores now, and we figured it out to where she doesn't cry all the time. But she has to shit every time we go to the store. Awesome. It's amazing. We can't do anything with that child. So. But she's cute. All right. Going back to her being punctual, she was organized and she made it look easy. She worked full-time, took care of her family, and was involved all over the community. She didn't sleep, okay? That's, That's what people have also said. They were like, when the fuck did she sleep? No, you don't. Diane's friend, Christy Limpenny, refused to talk about Diane's mom in her interview. Oh, she didn't want to speak ill of Diane. She said that if Diane didn't like you or was upset with you, you knew. She didn't talk about her private issues or complain about her work or marriage, or so it seemed. Which, goddamn, that's another thing that reminds me of me. So, And I know. I, was, I didn't want to like say it. I'm going to let you discover this as we go. Oh, no, she I didn't, already did that while I was watching it. She didn't talk about, even if it was the simplest things as like, oh, I've been experiencing tooth pain. Nobody knew. No. If she had a headache, if she was tired, if she was struggling anywhere, any struggle anywhere, nobody knew. In my opinion, she's conditioned herself to be the strong one. She can take it. Nobody else needs to deal with it. She's got other people to take care of. And that's... That's exacerbated by her husband. Yeah. Ten fucking fold. Now, in the interview with his mother, she actually goes in and she talks about how, like, well, she would get up and then she takes the, she gets the kids ready and she takes them to school and then she goes to work and she's at work all day and then she comes here and she stops in with us and then she goes home and she feeds her kids, reads them each a book, and then she gets up and she makes her husband a snack before he goes to work because he works graveyards. And then she'll start her laundry. Bitch, when do you sleep? She didn't. Oh, we'll get to that as well. But um, it feels to me as though a lot of people, not a lot of people, there are several people in her, in her realm that took advantage of the fact that she was motherly and that she was a workhorse and mm -hmm. that she was such a control freak. I think other people wished that she would have like relinquished a little bit of that control, but there were so many people that put wood on the fire and made, and she just took it. She just took it, 
took it, took it, took it, took it, took it. Well, you always say yes, and you always provide. Because yes. not to her extent, because I wasn't near this put together, but I did the same thing for a long time. Exactly. Anytime anybody asked, I, yeah, I can do it no matter what. And I wouldn't sleep. There were times that I would go to bed at 2 o'clock in the morning, wake back up at 5, and get back at it. I did not sleep. I, I did this for a few years, mm-hmm. because I was always the yes ma'am. And she seems like... She was worse than I was. Even she was more organized. She actually, she actually provided. Yeah, that bitch, I did. She provide a lot, but there was right. a lot that I did not. This this woman woke up every morning with a fucking purpose. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Some of us wake up in the morning, and we roll around in bed for forty five minutes, having existential crises, and then you know we'll get up and grab a cup of coffee, and then mull over. How bad we're going to fucking not succeed today because today feels like a day I should just go back to bed. So you do. That bitch didn't do that shit. No, there were no going back to bed days. No. Like, uh, yeah, I'll wake up and play on my phone for a little bit. I need time. I need a minute. I didn't used to be that way. I used to, like, feet hit the floor, we're fucking going. Not now. And and that is her. Or, you know, the, the understanding that people had of her was, you know... We go. We go until we can't go no mo. Danny, oh wait, Limpani, Limpani explained that Diane seemed very content with her life and marriage and work. Now it's it's easy to assume or to think that somebody is happy and content when they don't complain and they don't express any sort of disappointment or lacklusterly things in their life. And I think that's what Diane did is she didn't complain and she didn't snark about everything. So everybody just assumed that she was like tip top, like peachy keen yeah. jelly bean. The world is my oyster, you know. Danny and Diane had gone camping over the weekend just upstate from their home in West Babylon, July 24th through the 26th. Danny had gone up Thursday night before Diane, and he later changed his story to having gone up Friday in separate in separate cars than Diane. Why? I have no idea. Initially Thursday, then when his lawyer is present and gets involved several weeks several weeks later, then it's Friday. Danny would change his story several times, and this did not go unnoticed by the victim's family, the Bastardis. And this is these uh, that family would be the they were the occupants of the vehicle that Diane crashed into. <clears throat> so, do you want to talk about a timeline? Let's talk about a timeline. These are approximate times, okay? So, at about 6 a.m. on Sunday morning, Diane starts waking up to clean up camp, has some coffee, packs up the family's belongings. Danny helps her load the van, and then they rouse up their little chitlins. Emma is one of the children that is present. So, when they went camping, Danny took his truck and his dog and went up Thursday. Mm-hmm. Diane borrowed her brother's minivan. Okay. She took the minivan so that she could take her three nieces with her. Now, this wasn't an un- uncommon thing, right? So This is another way she reminded me of me because I'm always taking all the nieces and nephews. I've always got all the kids. Like, the adults are all always by themselves and I have all the kids. It's so fucking weird. This is why it's so weird to yeah. me. I have such a hard time with this one because it's... So Emma is her niece. Her father is Warren. And she calls her parents to say, hey, we're up. We're we're starting to move. We're going to leave. Everything's great. The campground owner saw and spoke to Diane 
that morning and said there were zero signs of intoxication. 9.30 a.m., Diane departs from Camp Hunter Lake with five kids en route to West Babylon. Danny left with his truck and they went straight home. So they left at the exact same time Mm -hmm. from the campground. Danny goes straight home. Diane has children. They're going to go get breakfast and make their make their trek. She even made them stop for a pose and take a photos. Also me, like and the photo is like 100% something I would see in your phone. Yeah. It freaks me out. Yeah. So, 9.56 a.m., the bunch heads into McDonald's for breakfast. During their time in the restaurant, there are zero signs of intoxication. They have CCTV footage of Diane having a lengthy conversation with the cashier and, like, other employees at McDonald's. Nothing. Um, when they interview the McDonald's employees, they were like, did you smell anything? Did she? They were like, no, nothing. Oh. 10.46. Diane... <clears throat> Diane stops at a gas station called a Sonico, uh, which is like their version of Conoco, yeah. I guess. She goes into the store for less than a minute total. She asks the clerk for some sort of pain medication that they didn't have in stock. Diane departs. There are zero signs of intoxication. Now, the gentleman that they interviewed at the Sonico gas station was like, I would have known. Like, she came in. She she walked straight. She spoke clearly. I didn't smell anything. Um, he said... I know for for a fact, which leads me to believe that that person is probably a recovering alcoholic. Like, I know for a fact she wasn't right. drinking. Um, or knows somebody who, you know, is close to someone. Right. So the clerk indicated that she asked for some sort of pain medication that they didn't have. I wonder now, what it was. My, my thought, my general, like, thought is that every single gas station I've ever walked into always has either Tylenol or ibuprofen or some kind of something. Yeah. Right? Now, did she happen to pop into a gas station that was perhaps out of Tylenol or whatever? Um, but that would that's just so incredibly rare. Right. And, well, I was thinking Excedrin because it has caffeine oh, in it. Maybe she was, or like Bayer or Nuprin. Little. Yellow. yellow. Different. <laughs> but... If they don't have what you're looking for, don't you usually get what they have? Or go to another gas station. Like Which if you're, she did not. She did not. And one would think that if it were that important, you would sort it out and go get what you needed, regardless of where you had to go to get it. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, at 11.37 a.m., Diane calls the Hans residence and tells her uh, brother and his wife that they're running a little bit late. There are still no signs of intoxication. Now, uh, Jackie is Warren's wife. That's Diane's sister-in-law. She was the one that was on the phone with her um, during that phone call the longest. Jackie said there were no indications that she was under the influence of anything. Now, at 11.45, Diane is seen by several people on the side of the road, apparently sick to her stomach and vomiting. At 12... Maybe 12.10 p.m., witnesses say that Diane was driving aggressively, changing lanes abruptly, tailgating. Jackie spoke to Diane Hans, and there were still no signs of intoxication. Now, this is only about 15 to 25 minutes later. They talked yet again. What was said in that conversation? Why are they talking again? Well, 12.15 Diane passes the Harriman Tolls. At 12.30, Diane is seen at the Ramapo rest area vomiting yet again. 
At 12.55 p.m., there are three wrong numbers dialed from Diane's phone. At 12.58, three minutes later, Emma Hance calls her mother, Jackie, crying and telling her that something is wrong with Aunt Diane. <clears throat> Diane is incoherent. Diane tried to talk to Jackie. She took the phone from Emma and tell them that everything's okay. The kids are just playing. They're just teasing. But at this point, she is slurring her words and sounds off. They've just passed the Tappan Zee Bridge into the Sleepy Hollow Terrytown area. Family friend Brad Casina has called 911 to get help from New York State Police regarding the Hans children. So Warren and Jackie are trying to call Diane. They're freaking out. They have friends in the house. They've talked to other people. They're like, holy fuck, we can't. Like, something's wrong with Diane. The family friend is calling police while Jackie and Warren are calling Danny. They're calling um, Diane. So they're trying, you know, people are trying to help them out. Um, at 1.02 p.m., Warren calls Diane. He tells her to stay put and leaves Long Island to go find his sister. Warren phones Danny and says, hey, something's wrong with Diane. Like, she's not where she's supposed to be. She doesn't sound coherent. The kid's called fucking freaking out. We need to head back upstate to get my kids and your wife and your kids. So it's about an hour from Long Island to where she is. Mm-hmm. Diane, Diane apparently pulls off um, just past the Tappan Zee Bridge and there's like a little pullout area with like a bridge uh, or a, like a side barrier. Um, she gets out of the vehicle and puts her phone out there on the side of the road. So there's no more GPS tracking available after she leaves here, obviously. Her route to this point was absolutely normal. It's the way she would have she gone every single time. But... Once you get off and you pass, you you know, you get off the Tappan Zee Bridge, there's several ways that you could have exited and gotten to where she was um, when the crash happened. <clears throat> but nobody knows. Like, nobody knows how or, like, not how. Nobody knows where what? she exited yeah. and what route she took to get to the Taconic where the crash happened. At 1.10 p.m., Diane phone, <clears throat> Diane's phone calls three more wrong numbers. Calls to Diane went unanswered and straight to voicemail. At 1.33 um, to 1.35-ish, there's about a dozen calls to 911 regarding a wrong-way driver on the Taconic. A lot of them. Because the one uh, on the one they answered, and they're like, is this about the wrong-way driver? They're yeah, like, they yep, already knew. Okay, we're on it. <clears throat> um, so at 1.35, the collision takes place on the Taconic. The minivan went headfirst into another vehicle and burst into flames as it twirled down the hill where it would eventually burn out. And you can see the the path it took yep. on the video, and it's crazy because you can see the outside, like, where, oh, it's... Ugh. It's a lot to handle, guys. If you want to go and watch um, the documentary, just be aware that there are some photographs and there are some descriptions and interviews that are a little hard to handle. Not of the kids, though. Thank God. No, not I of the didn't, kids. I, that was Fuck, the part I, don't, that, I couldn't do that. When you said it was going to be rough, that's what I was bracing myself for, was seeing, like, the dead children. And I was like, I can't. I can't do that. But luckily, there weren't any. But the guy who explains that helps. Oh, oh. where he was, like, trying to get the little girl to wake up, and mm, she wouldn't wake she up. She wouldn't wake up. And he starts crying. God. Oh, God. That just gave me whole body chills. I know, I'm like I getting all like, weepy. Oh, I didn't like that at all. Um, several people rush to help, right? So the accident happens. 
they go off the median into the grass where the, the minivan then catches fire. Several people rush to help. Diane's charred, lifeless body falls out of the car like they are trying to pry open doors and get in there to see if anybody's still alive. And there are photos of Diane. That are awful. They're not awful. It isn't. That, like, that's the thing. If you were just to see that in all willy-nilly somewhere, yeah. it's really not all that heinous. Mm. But when you you know the story and you get to this point. And you see her and you're trying to figure out what happened. And she's all swollen from the impact and she's got burns and she's just, it, it's kind of fucking weird, man. I don't know why, but it took my breath away. I was like. Ugh. Mine too. And I couldn't stop looking because I was like. Yeah. What? Like I'm trying to figure it out. What is, what am I going to see here that's going to answer a question? It's just. Anyway. There's nothing. The only they so the the people that rush to help uh, start extracting the children from the vehicle. Right. The only survivor is Brian Schuler, who was at the bottom of the pile of bodies of children. Kate Hance was finger quotes alive. Um, she died later in the hospital and everybody else died on impact at, uh, on the highway at three o'clock p.m. on July 26th. Warren and Jackie were notified of the deaths. Now, I went and read some of the memoir that was put together by Jackie Hance. Oh, you did? Yeah, don't. Oh, don't it's I don't fucking to. read it. Uh, she snaps. Um, she realizes at first, so the information that was initially given to the Hance family and even Brian, or not Brian, Danny, was that Brian had died and everybody else was okay. Was alive, yeah. Right. When it was the exact opposite. When Jackie realized that all three of her children were dead, she, like, ran out of the house screaming. Like, having a full-blown mental collapse. I can't even... I can't even imagine. I don't want to. No. I I kept going there during that time watching that, and I was like, don't. Do do not. Don't. mm -mm -mm. We don't go there. We Mm -mm. don't do that. Mm-mm. At 3.40 p.m., Diane's cell phone was found on the guardrail just past the uh, Tappan Zee Bridge. Somebody had pulled out there for whatever reason, a complete stranger, and they looked over and they saw a phone. And so they called, you know, home right. or whatever. And that's where they, they they found the phone. 40 minutes later, like after everybody was, 40 minutes after everybody had been notified that everybody was dead. Then they um, found the phone. Then they found the phone. So the only like the only reason that they knew that Brian had a fighting chance of, you know, he was crying and being obstinate and like mm-hmm. fighting people. So he had uh Brian Schuler sustained obviously um several broken bones, several he had a traumatic brain injury. He um took a hit to the eye that caused some permanent damage. Um but the fact that kid's still alive stuns me. Yeah. I I don't fucking know how. Nope. No, I don't either. I I also was thinking about that a lot. Like, how are you? How are you still okay? Don't know. There were nine fatalities on July twenty sixth. Diane Schuler, thirty six, the driver of the red minivan holding five children. Brian Schuler, five, was the only survivor, and his little sister Erin, two. Their cousins, Emma, 8, Allison, 7, Kate, 5, were also on board the red minivan owned by their father, Warren Hance Jr., and mom, Jackie, who had given the van to Diane to use to go camping. 
Michael Bastardi, 81, and his son, Guy Bastardi, who was 49, and their family friend, Dan Longo, 74, were in the vehicle struck head-on by Diane and killed as well. There had been others involved in the accident that sustained injury but survived. Yeah, so there was a third vehicle that was involved um, after the head-on collision and the vehicles re- you know, rebounded. Mm-hmm. There was another vehicle that was involved, but it was like they weren't hurt. Yeah. <clears throat> Minor It injuries. just clipped it, didn't it? Like kind of threw it off a little, it, if I remember It hit right. it pretty hard, but it wasn't like, I, I it yeah. had some good dents, but yeah. nobody, was, nobody was seriously or critically injured. July 31st, Warren Hance had purchased a 12-person plot at the cemetery. There were so many people in attendance that there were loudspeakers placed outside for the community members outside the church as there were there was not room inside for everyone. At this point, no one had known Diane was the reason Warren and Jackie were putting all of their children into the ground and the Hanses unknowingly buried their babies right next to the person who put them in those graves. Ugh. I don't like it. Mm. August 4th, the family receives a blow that no one was prepared for. Diane Schuler's toxicology report is complete, and this bitch was fucking faded as she crashed into that van. Fucked up. Bad. Like, fucked up. Blood alcohol level of 0.19, which is double the legal limit. And now, now uh, <clears throat> for somebody like me that was a heavy drinker, is really child's play. Should we be driving? No. Are we still functional? Fuck yeah, we are. Um, Or even, but 0.19 for you, you would be done. Oh, you'd be asleep. Yeah, me at 0.19. No, no, no. You you now at 0.19 would not be okay. But you before at 0.19, that was. 0.19, I'm still like 0.19 for me when I was still drinking was child's play. Like I could still. Like, fuck, I could go to work and nobody would know. But um, 0.19 now, I would be okay. Like, I would be functional. I would be functional. Like, I could still go and take a piss and wash my hands. And should I drive? Fuck no. Should I go to work? Absolutely not. Should I actually go anywhere where anybody could see me? No. She also had... A THC level Yeesh. of 113 nanograms. Now, I don't know what that... I don't understand that. Okay. So, explain to us. Explain it. Explain it. <clears throat> well, so 113 nanograms indicated that at the time of the accident, she would have smoked within like 15 minutes to a half an hour. Like that's high level. So I just had an epiphany when she was thrown up. I wonder if she stopped and smoked. Right. So here's my because I mean, technically she could have smoked like 30 minutes to an hour. And it's I mean, obviously, it's still going to test high levels of THC. Um, they're thinking she smoked, which I mean, when they were on the Ramapo pullout and she was being ill, like what? 1230. The accident was at 130. So it was within an hour. But yeah, because she threw up. I'm wondering if she stopped because she was sick because she hurt or so right. she stopped to have some some smoke to help 
because Dude, it helps, in all reality, a, it helps with nausea. It helps with pain. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, like there's so many benefits of it. Well, and at the times of being stopped, she could have gotten into the trunk and gotten a drink and put it in her, you know. Oh, totally. In her cup and been drinking it as they were driving. Oh, totally. And got crossfaded so fucking fast that she didn't know what the fuck was going on. Because someone who is normally sober getting crossfaded. That's, that's you're begging ending. for problems. I remember the first time that I got crossfaded, I woke up behind Presado. Damn, I've never been crossfaded, and I don't wanna, cause I can't handle one drink of alcohol, let alone being crossfaded. I think I would die, <coughs> like just from not doing anything. This is this is it. This is where I have to go die now. Okay, yeah, I'd be like, no, we're done now. So there was also a broken bottle of absolute vodka found amongst the wreckage of the minivan mm-hmm. a bottle that Danny claimed was packed into the van by accident now he makes it okay i'll read this this is a bottle that was supposedly part of the camping supplies so they could enjoy adult drinks around the campfire like most like of you us do, do. Um, a bottle that Danny swears she never really drank out of or did she if it was a bottle that was supposed to be in the camper, why did Diane pack it into the car? Mm-hmm. An open container. So, he, okay, as men like Danny do, when you go camping, they don't fucking help a shit. She packed it all in. She packed it all out. All he did was the muscles and put it into the car. And they very, like, they, he said that even. He's like, I don't know. She packs it up. I put it into the car. He didn't look at what was in the car. She probably did it on purpose. She knew she wasn't feeling good that day, I think. I think she knew that her face hurt because they're always talking about that tooth. And she put it in there. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, I wasn't there, but I think that she put it in there knowing that she might need she would, she a would little have sippy access to it. for some pain. Now, back in the day, I had a root canal done mm-hmm. on a tooth. Prior to that root canal, I had a filling that fell out and the tooth subsequently got infected and was abscessed. I, with no dental insurance, was treating it with alcohol. I wasn't swallowing the booze. You can hold it on there. Yeah. And it goes numb and it helps. I mean, you can swallow the booze, obviously. And I think she did. I do too. I, I don't think. I knows. Yeah. Well, and for me, the first time I ever had like an edible was when I had a, a tooth problem. And it was so bad that the painkillers weren't doing it. And I, I just had a really bad infection after I got a tooth pulled and it was up in the other bone. But I had uh, I had weed and it helped with the pain a lot. Immensely. So I, you know, well, so Warren and Jackie Hintz, Hintz, yep. sorry, Warren and Jackie Hintz declined to be interviewed or filmed for the documentary. So you don't get to hear from them at all. Doing no, this. you you can go and watch. Um, there are some some interviews, um, brief. But the if you want to know anything more from them, uh, you really need to go read her memoir. It's called "I'll See You Again." Oh God, it's it's no. heavy duty though. So, amongst the many interviewed was Doctor Harold Burgesson a forensic psychiatrist. He was enlisted to review the medical documentation to try and sort out the state of mind a person is in prior to an incident. Now, Dr. B talks about the family's desire to preserve the reputation of a demonized loved one. They call it like the sainthood syndrome, so to speak, which is exactly what Daniel Schuler and his sister-in-law, Jay Schuler, fully adopt. 
This woman could do no wrong. She was the perfect wife. She was the perfect mother. I will marry her again tomorrow. I don't know. That was very Yiddish and Jewish, in my opinion, not New York. You actually did sound pretty, you know. But I thought you did pretty good. Jay Schuler, sister-in-law to Danny and Diane, joined Danny on his wild crusade to exonerate Diane as a drunk mom who killed the kids. God. No matter what police, forensics, no matter what, anybody said... They just couldn't believe that this devoted mom was capable of drinking and driving. The perfect wife and steadfast executive couldn't possibly be guilty of what the reports are saying. Jay supported Danny through all of the media, all the press conferences and subsequent investigations. They can be seen clutching one another's hands during a 2009 press conference that Danny insisted they have. There was no real purpose behind that media meeting other than he wanted to talk about his wife. And he didn't do a very good job. Like, no, he didn't. He is a public speaker like I am. That guy like, is I a just... fucking twerp. I think it was also difficult for him to say nice things about his wife because he's... he didn't fucking have any. And he's used to being derogatory towards her, I think. That's what I'm thinking. Now, this is all speculation. You guys can... And this is an, another thing of where I get the emotional abuse from. Like, he... Yeah. I And I agree with you. I think that he was one of those people... That took advantage of him, uh, took advantage of his wife, made her do everything. And if she didn't, then he was cruel to her. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the impression that I get. Same. Um, so Jay Schuler, godmother to their children, catered to Danny and Brian after Diane's death and almost to a fault. And we're going to discuss that as well. The other thing that you see during that press press conference in 2009, which is available in the documentary, Something's Wrong with Aunt Diane, is that when when the the attorney for the Schuler family says, my my client wants to talk about his wife. Okay, so you see Danny, who's standing there holding hands with his sister-in-law, like clutching hands as he moves forward to take the mic and talk about Diane. Jay is scratching and rubbing and tickling his back. His sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. It looks very... Suspicious. Yes, it does. Well, that's... <clears throat> Don't, that's be suspicious. Suspicious. Don't, Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. <laughs> Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. What the hell is that from? I know I learned it from something and I've been saying it lately and I don't know why. Back at the ranch. Um... Maybe. There are many questions that will never be answered. The little unsolved mystery isn't really unsolved Mm-mm. because clearly alcohol and THC are the major components that would have led to this accident. But why? And how? Okay. So here's where we're getting into a lot of speculation, a lot of personal opinion, and a lot of just like theory, right? Yeah. <clears throat> the timeline literally goes... So before we get into the theories and whatnots, the timeline literally goes from no signs of intoxication to completely fucking incoherent in under an hour. Okay. And I'm not saying that I can't do that because I totally fucking can. I can have one drink and basically be there. But maybe two. Let's let's break this down and discuss. Let's do. All right. Because we haven't done that leading up. Sorry. I keep like discussing. It's okay. So many things in my brain. I wanted to get. The pertinent the factual story. shits before we start getting into, like, theories of things, right? Because I have, like, six. 
I feel pretty steady with my theory at this point, but that could change in the next. That's because you're an intelligent person that's welcoming information that could change your mind. Right. Like Joe Rogan. I know. That's where I learned that, too. It's like. I know. Me, too. You're a genius. That was the most profound thing the man has ever said to me. Joe Rogan is actually right when we were talking (laughs) when we were talking when we were hanging out having a Rogan experience together and he didn't know he doesn't even know I exist but we had a good that was a good day maybe he does I'm just saying maybe he does we're gonna we're gonna break it down and discuss now Diane had complained of a toothache the day of the accident the only explainable explainable the only the only explainable medical malady she had. Diane was said to be a diabetic or a pre-diabetic, but later I found out she only had gestational diabetes while pregnant and that's it. Uh, Danny and Jay Schuler were convinced that Diane was having some sort of medical emergency that caused her to drive onto the off-ramp. Autopsy results showed conclusively, okay, Diane did not have a stroke. She was not having a heart attack or uh, an aneurysm. Mm-mm. Her toxicology was questioned as was the validity of the autopsy. Danny and Jay were convinced that a medical problem had arisen, but how does that explain THC and alcohol, right? So they wanted to make sure that the the toxicology was correct, right? They're like, okay, you're saying that my perfect wife was drunk and high. Did you really, is this, did you get samples mixed up? Did somebody accidentally label something wrong? Are these really from her? Are it was this actually correct, Clark? Are you you serious, Clark? Yeah. Yeah. The family then hired a private detective recommended by their attorney, Dominic Barbara, who worked with Thomas Ruskin on another on on other cases. Yes. Thomas Ruskin, a former New York police officer, accepted the job and charged upwards of $30,000 to interview friends, family, and co-workers to determine whether or not Diane was an alcoholic or an addict. He was also responsible to get new DNA tests done from the DNA in the home and compare it to the DNA used for the tox report to make sure that the specimen used was really Diane's and to recreate the accident timeline using GPS and CCTV footage. Yes. Danny would later accuse Ruskin of not doing his job, taking the money and running type gig. Like, oh, we gave him the money and he disappeared. Oh, you, you, that filthy fucker. I gave him all my savings and nothing. Because if you, now, when you, when you read... Inter- <clears throat> when you read interviews, you fucking moron angel, stop it. When you read the interviews twice, twice in a row. We're going to read them twice. <clears throat> when you read the news articles and you watch the interviews, every time somebody asks about Thomas Ruskin, Danny is like, I don't know. I don't know. He just, he just went away. I don't know. The attorney for the family, Dominic Barbara, confirmed that he and his office had not heard from Ruskin either. Jay also stated that the PI was grubbing for more money and not producing results, which could be that they didn't fucking pay him, so he wasn't going to give him his results. I do There was know? never... I, I, I am unsure um, what, what the situation was financially. They said that they had paid about $30,000. Later, Ruskin asks them for more money. Now, whether he got it or not, I am unsure. Did he get paid the full amount of what he was supposed to get to do this? I don't know. Yeah. Was he a nickel and dimer? Yeah, I fucking think he was. Oh, I do too. Yeah. I was like, well, we'll start off here and then each thing is a little bit more, but I'm not going to tell you that until later. 
Well, the documentary dispelled this accusation pretty quickly while filming. When Jay and Danny started pushing for DNA samples to be retested, they found out the DNA was retested and the testing was paid for by Tom Ruskin. The lab, NMS, stated that they would not retest anything again without payment. They also stated that no information would be released to anyone except Ruskin unless he signed a release to the Schuler family. Jay Schuler, who had been advised by Danny and other family to avoid calls and contact from the PI, called Ruskin. When he returned her call, he told her all about what had really happened. He took the money from Danny Schuler to do the investigation, which he did. He stated that he released results and info to Danny and several other involves, involved. He said Danny stopped contact with him. HBO documentary reached out to Tom and he advised that unless he was paid twenty dollars to $25,000, that it just wasn't worth his time to unearth the research and materials or investigation shit out of storage. He was advised that it was way out of his price range and um, for a documentary budget, which he's not wrong. If you're going to take time out of your daily where you're fucking getting all this money from people by... Oh, yeah. Like doing if you're, what he's doing. Yeah, if he's a... Pr- he's not going to take documentary pay to stop that. The thing is, for a documentary, you know, an interview, you're going to get paid a couple hundred dollars. You're going to get paid like a thousand dollars. And and a thousand dollars is probably really pushing it. That's you know? one moment for him. Literally. But he's being paid tens of thousands of dollars a day to go and take photos and do all this other stuff for other clients that are actually paying. So for him to do that, yeah. But I think, again, you're nickel and dime. Who the f- $25,000 for an interview? And he's like, I might as well try. You know, if they give it to me, they give it to me, I'll do it. If they don't, they don't. And there's no skin off my fucking back. Exactly. Because it's not I like mean, he I needed the money. I don't blame him. Maybe he did need the money. Maybe he's like, no, you're going to pay me like twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars $25,000 if you want all of this stuff. Because he didn't. Danny Schuler didn't pay for. Right. I had to come out of pocket for. And maybe it was. Maybe it was like, hey, Danny paid $5,000 and I still want my other twenty five. So if you guys want all this information, pay me the other twenty five, and then I'll give it to you. Yeah, like if you want the hard I don't cup, know. I don't, we don't know. I did notice that he was in Salt Lake City when he was doing his, inter- his thingy. Mm-hmm. It feels a lot like Ruskin is guilty of his money grubbing and shady. He's a shady piece of shit. Yeah, he is. Also, it sounds a lot like Danny's hiding something and trying desperately to continue swimming in denial. Yeesh. My thoughts. Your thoughts. My thoughts. These are Angel's thoughts. My thoughts. thoughts. I'll, I'll tell you. What are your thoughts? I'll tell you what my thoughts are. My thoughts are Danny was told exactly what he didn't want to hear. Mm-hmm. The DNA that they took matched the DNA used in the toxicology reports. The tox reports are correct. The DNA was Diane's. Mm-hmm. Uh, Diane was drunk driving and high when she crashed and killed eight people. So I think he refused further contact. In an attempt to keep Jay out of the loop, Danny told her not to have contact with the P.I., And it was later unearthed that Ruskin really is a shady piece of shit. He chose the P.I. life. Uh, It didn't choose him. He damned himself (laughs) there after he lost his job as a New York State police for felony arrest. Well. Police officer. Um, But he did do what he said he was going to do. Tom Ruskin did say that he didn't believe the woman was a bad person or an alcoholic. 
No, I don't either. The family lawyer, Dominic Barbara, who had recommended the use of Tom Ruskin, was also the one to find him after they, finger quote, lost touch with the Schuler family. I have a sneaking suspicion that Barbara, uh, or excuse me, Barbara and Ruskin are both in cahoots. I mean, they're both sleazy as fuck. I think they're in cahoots with one another to drain the Schuler family of any sort of money. And when you see that because Danny would have gotten money for the death of Diane from the insurance company and her life insurance policy from work. He would have mm-hmm. also gotten money from the death of his daughter in the car accident. So there was money to be had. Yeah. But I think they were in cahoots to drain the Schuler family, masking it as like, like, oh my God, this tragedy, we got to find out, but you got to pay for it. And with like using Danny's denial as a tool to obtain you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It would be easy. Yeah. Long story short, this is the tippy tip of the iceberg in the sad shit and the denial delirium. Remember when we mentioned that Diane had complained of a toothache? Well, Jay and Danny thought it would be best to try and get records to look for answers. They had not had any luck acquiring them until HBO got involved, and suddenly records were mailed ASAP. Well, because the dentist wanted that $1,000. Like, if that's what they were going to pay, they were like, fuck, all, all right. we got to do is fax you some shit. Here we go. Here you go. Because I don't understand why. I don't understand how her husband couldn't just go in and get those, but I do. He I could have. Okay, uh, that's what I thought. She was dead. He had her death certificate. He could walk in there as her husband and say, I need this. If she was alive, he couldn't unless she signed stuff. Right, for HIPAA. Yeah. But she was, yeah. Well, they they got the records that they were looking for. In the records, it did show multiple dental issues that required major work and medications, including hydrocodone. However, it was not in excess. It wasn't misused. It wasn't chronically prescribed. The last opioid she was prescribed was like four years prior to the accident. She did not have all the work completed, though, including a fucked up root canal. So did she have chronic tooth pain? Yes. Did she have tooth pain that morning? Likely. She said she did. Was she a pill junkie? Doesn't look like it. Mm -mm. Even her toxicology, um, which we will post um, a link for that in the show notes, where you can go and look at that if you'd like to. Her toxicology report that she didn't regularly use opioids. So, unfortunately, the family and the lawyer clung to this insane idea that an abscessed tooth caused her to have a stroke or a heart attack or an aneurysm, and she killed eight people in a pain-induced delirium that she tried desperately to medicate with alcohol and THC. However, there's still at first it was, no, that THC and that alcohol, that didn't belong to my wife. Oh, wait, it does? Okay, well, in that case, she has a fucking abscessed tooth. And she smokes about three times a year, but definitely not on that camping trip. Oh, she, was, she wasn't drinking on that camping trip, but later I'm going to tell you that she did the night before while we were doing s'mores. But the THC, three times a year, until you talk to my sister-in-law. Sometimes she smokes it to sleep. Well, Jay Schuler, sister-in-law would come in and say that she actually regularly used THC and which is fine by me I don't give a shit um to sleep right I don't and I don't I don't fault her for that cuz I've done the same thing right I don't currently but I have in the so past so it was also just like there were several other people that were like oh you know she just used it to sleep it wasn't wasn't a big deal she just used it to sleep 
Um, well, okay. So here we are with the abscess tooth caused her to have a stroke or something. Um, but because alcohol and THC are still there and still an issue, they decided to meet with a, um, a doctor who is uh, a leading medical examiner in the United States to review the autopsy in the file for Diane Schuler, Dr. Werner Spitz. Um, according to Dr. Spitz, the autopsy was done correctly. And not only was it done correctly, it was done well based on what was in the file. He didn't do the autopsy. Obviously, the body's already in the ground, correct? But right. he has everything from the autopsy performed by the original examiner. And said, what I see here, based on this informational material, the reports, the photos, everything I see, this autopsy was top-notch. Sadly, Danny and Jay, who were present for the review by Dr. Werner, um, basically checked the fuck out. They weren't having it. They were like, okay, well, you know what? The next part is that then we got to go and get the money and the permissions to exhume my wife's body so we can have yet another autopsy done because that corona and that examiner aren't giving me the fucking answers that I want. And <laughs> that's and, what well, it was. And they were basically trying to push him to say... Yes, because of pain, she could have had a stroke. Is this a possibility? Well, and he's like, well, yeah, not but in she her didn't. case. But she didn't. Like, that was the unfortunate, like, I get exactly where you're going. So is it possible? Did it Could she have? He was like, in theory, yeah, you could have had a fucking stroke. But she didn't. But the autopsy is telling us she didn't. Yeah, and they didn't like that. They were really trying to push him to the, say that Danny this is a fucking possible. bully. He is. This is goes back to my whole mental abuse thing. It is. Where he, yes, he was the guy who doesn't do shit, but as that lazy motherfucker, you can, you can control a lot it's, from that seat. I think that Danny had used um, debate team tactics his entire life. So if he was getting the answer that he didn't want from whomever he was getting it from, it was, but could, and then it was the... Sh- like the hypothetical situations. And then it was like, if I badger and I push, are they going to negotiate? Are they going to break up? Oh, look, they, I got what I wanted for him. He was trying to badger a very analytical, very logical person. I just said analytical. That is, was that the word I was looking for? Analog? No. Analog's no. a clock. Analytical's a people. Okay. I think, I don't know. Um, tired. I'm going to say that was the right word, but he's looking at a medical examiner and he's trying to negotiate the results of an autopsy. Seriously. He was trying to do that. No. And, and I think that he's used this tactic so much in his life. Like you can, it's gaslighting also because you're making them question, question themselves to try to switch it around. And, and, and if you are unfamiliar with gaslighting, please go look it up. There is actually a Ted talk video. It is the most magnificent gaslighting story I've ever heard in my fucking life. But anyway, Danny, Danny sat and pushed and pushed. And then he's got his little crony. And I I say that lovingly Jay at his side, right? His sister-in-law is sitting at his side and she is like the, you know how everybody's got a sidekick. What are we going to do today? Spike, what are we going to do? That is Jay. Verb. I know what we're doing today. (laughs) Sorry. So Jay, Jay will pursue a lot of things, but when it comes to that, when people are saying the autopsy was done really well, like you guys shouldn't have any questions, Jay, you see it on her face. Like, fuck. 
back. Mm -hmm. Danny, on the other hand, is like, but what if the magnetized needle in the compass on the dash had a pull to their compass on their dash on their truck even if she was driving wrong way fucked up maybe those magnets pulled the cars together because they're metal and that's what happened that's not really what he said that's just like that is the lunacy that right and i i had another i had another thought about jay um I wonder, okay, th- this might be going a little too deep into into family things, but Jay is a really strong personality, and she has taken on that role now of taking care of Danny. I wonder what they were raised like. I wonder if their mom's like that, because it seems to be a pattern in their in their family. Perhaps. That they're the, you know. Jay also, I think, um, I get the impression she's a very simple woman. When she's on the phone mm-hmm. with Tom Ruskin, the private detective, and he's like, Toxicology is correct. She was drunk and high. Don't you see how confused I am right now? I, I, what are you saying? What do I do now? She reminds me of, what do you think I am? Dumb as something? Yeah. From well, Singing yeah. in the Rain? And I'm just like, all right, listen, darling. She is, uh, she's very motherly. Yeah. She's very driven to care for people. She's very empathetic. She's very, very sweet woman. Very nice lady. But I think that she is not clever. No, and she's been manipulated by the Schuler men to do what she wants done or what they want done. And she's happy to go around and please. She that you is notice her that, life. That goal. her her husband was interviewed briefly. Yeah, I don't even remember seeing him because I, I had a, it took me a minute to decide who she was. Like, wait, right? which which was who was the brother? Who's what? Who? Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Warner Spitz tells them autopsy was done, autopsy was done correctly and well. Danny then says, okay, well, the next part is that we exhume the body and we have yet another autopsy done because you don't know what you're talking about. And the other examiner didn't know what he was talking about. And you guys aren't giving me the answers that I want. And it's, it's fucking unholy because he's still trying to maintain that drugs and alcohol weren't a thing. Danny is. And Dr. Spitz is staring at them like... What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, why do you want to pull that woman's body out of the ground? For what? Yeah. Well, so they leave, right? They're they're walking out of the building. They're in the, the elevator together with the film crew. And they're talking about, you know, the next steps or whatever. And Jay says, I need about 100 cigarettes. Right? You remember that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Then, fully unaware of irony whatsoever, following this meeting with Dr. Spitz, Danny and Jay leave. Jay goes to smoke, looks at the cameraman, deadpan, takes a drag and says, no one in my family knows I smoke. What? So what you're saying is you and Danny are insisting that if she were an alcoholic, that Diane were an alcoholic, if Diane had issues, you wouldn't, you, you would know, right? She insisted that if Diane was an alcoholic, I would know, but nobody knows you smoke. Okay. See, this falls into my theory of the pattern, too, of the Schuler men and how their family is, because... I'm just like, how are you going to say that you would know all these things, but then you have the audacity to stand out there smoking, and nobody knows you smoke? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, the lawyer, Dominic Barbara, 
that I'm going to butcher his uh, his name every time. Every single time. Every time. He's got a new name, but he's always the same person. Just every time. So you know. <laughs> he had gone on television and stated that the painkiller she was looking for was actually Ambasol. That Make, makes that sense. That makes sense. She was an, unable to find Ambasol in the store because that's not something they really carry in a in a convenience store, is it? You can Sometimes. find it. You can find it in the larger like chains. So if you go into like Seven Eleven, yeah, they have Ambisol. If you're going into like uh, like a Maverick locally, yeah. they have them. But if you just pop into a mom and pop, Conoco, yeah, they're not gonna. I doubt they're gonna have it. No. But Dominic said that there was Ambisol found in the wreckage. And that that can give a false positive for alcohol testing. But to a one a point one nine. Fuck no. And it's, it's not, not true. But it's not true anyway because ambisol is a benzyl, not an ethyl alcohol. And so you see what I mean about denial and easy money. I feel like their lawyer was was totally like, you know, giving him ammo to keep uh, going yeah, like keep he going, was he was going. he was literally money. mentally and emotionally masturbating these people with mm-hmm. little theories of like oh my god well did you, if she had a toothache she had an abscess tooth and an aneurysm that woman's brain exploded and that's why she drove wrong way on that highway and right. these people are fucking eating it it was the ambisol it was the fucking ambisol right because you can you can get drunk on ambisol no you can't you're gonna give give yourself a stomach ache in the shits Danny didn't want to be the reason that his wife just had a mental break. I think that there's, yes, that. And I think there's, yes. Sorry, we can talk about that more in a minute, but I had to get that off my chest. Okay, facts. Shall we? Let's do. Let's talk about the actual honest-to-God shit we do know for a fact. A fact. Yes. Diane Schuler, age 36, crashed driving northbound in southbound traffic... On July 26, 2009, killing eight. Her blood alcohol level was 0.19 with 113 nanograms of THC in her blood, meaning she ingested or smoked 15 to 60 minutes before she crashed. Yes. She had a gastric content of 2.5%. Which, if we remember correctly, and I think this is right, it's about 10 shots. 10 10 ounces ounces was unprocessed sitting in her belly. Do you know, so here's my thing, okay? That bottle of Absolute that was found in the wreckage. Mm -hmm. Was it got? That bottle wasn't big enough to have been used for every camping trip. And still have 10 ounces for her to drink and have enough to have a BAC of 0.19. I think that bottle was freshly opened that morning. Yeah. And it could have been one that they kept there because I know that I'll have bottles. Like, I'll have, like, a bottle that I buy and take with me and don't drink and then bring it back and put it back in the freezer. You know what I mean? Like, that could have been true. Or they had an overstock and that was part of it. And that was the one that they didn't drink all of. You know what I mean? That was the one they didn't crack open while they were camping. And so he could be telling sort of a truth there. That it wasn't an open container when it got put into the car. Correct. Well, okay. Back to the back to our fiacs. In her belly, not, not digested, yes. was this alcohol, the BAC of 0.19. The authorities would call the state 
of her stomach to be at a delirium stage, which can cause poisoning and coma, and a person should seek medical help. So she's got, like, alcohol poisoning. Yes. If you already have a BAC of 0.19 and the contents of your tummy held 10 more fucking shots. Remember the puking? Yep. So if she's puked twice and still has 10 ounces of alcohol, she was chugging some She shit. fucking chugged it. And I wonder if that's why she puked the first two times and then drank some more. Some, something fucking happened. Right. She was showing no signs of intoxication until noonish that day. Could she have been sipping on vodka all morning and drank too much? Well, she could have. But... Alcohol and THC. They're besties. Our besties. They are. They, it's like us together. When we together, we are enhanced. We enhanced. <laughs> enhanced. Remember enhanced. Ninja Turtles too? <laughs> enhanced. Is that what it is? No, it's Super Troopers. Oh, yeah. God, enhanced. how did I just get that? Oh, I enhanced. remember what time and did I remember what part so, I was trying to. But yeah, enhanced. The effects of THC are increased by absorb. The effects of THC are increased. So the absorption of the THC is increased by alcohol. Yeah. The alcohol absorption is increased. The effects are increased by THC. They walk hand in hand, skipping through your brain together. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's science. Boom, bitch. You hear that? Do you hear that science being told? Okay. So did she have a toothache and decided to self-medicate, get completely fucked up by smoking weed and drinking? Would that explain the six bells like we've been saying? Right. Or was she a closeted alcoholic, as suggested by the article written by TheFix.com, an addiction um, recovery straighten up page? Yeah, like get your shit together page. Yeah. The piece itself was pretty insightful. Um, and Angel thinks that any alcoholic would agree because I did not read it. It's a it's a pretty decent. It's a really good article. It actually talks about um, several things that would indicate that she may have Diane may have been a closeted alcoholic. Um, it was talked about by one of the doctors, one of the the like toxicology specialists, that she could have experienced a delirium from alcohol and uh, THC that caused her to crash in kind of like a mental absence. Um, but it also talks about, the article itself talks about the desire to be perfect, control issues, um, how to keep, like, keeping secrets because, you you know, telling people that you were struggling or telling people about what's going on is giving up control. You're then allowing somebody else to know too much. That's why she's controlling the one part, because you're controlling the parts that you can control, because there's so much that you cannot control. Yes. So, do I think that Diane was an alcoholic? Well, I don't. I don't either. I think she was a heavy drinker. I don't think she was an alcoholic. I But I do think she was a drinker. And I the only reason I say this is because I have more information in my brain than you. About this woman. <laughs> I know more than you know. I'm, I'll never tell. <laughs> but I do think that she was a regular drinker. I think she drank more than people knew. Yeah. Um. I think that she was a closeted self-medicator. Mm-hmm. And that included alcohol, but I don't think she was an alcoholic. Alcoholics don't take their kids dressed to the nines to preschool no. 20 minutes early. Women that are alcoholics don't hold six-figure... Um, 
executive jobs. Um, not with a family at home taking care of them like that, no. And and perhaps perhaps she was a functional alcoholic, meaning she didn't drink on the job, but as soon as she was done, she started, and then maybe she drank into excess into the night. But it, I just don't think that she was an alcoholic. Most alcoholics can't maintain the level of shit she did for that long. No, that's a lot to do with, yeah... That's a lot. It really is. And I just don't see that being her gig. Now, as far as Deanne, as far as Diane's THC use, I am of here. Here's the, here's the thing. I am of the opinion that somebody who smokes to um, take care of pain or insomnia or sleeplessness or they, whatever, that's their business. And quite frankly, I don't think that THC alters a person to a point that they are incapable of maintaining a life or driving. I know that you can get a DUI when you use THC. I know that you can get really, really fucked up and need a minute to like sort your fucking self out. Yeah. And there are, you know what, there's lots of people that use THC that are like, okay, once I'm using, like once I've smoked, once I've imbibed, I don't go anywhere. I don't operate because they can't, but lots of people can and they do. I don't, I, I go to sleep because I don't like it. I don't like how it makes me feel. So I only use it if I'm going to sleep and I want to go to sleep before that shit kicks in. You know what I mean? Like yeah. as soon as it starts to kick in, I want to be in the position where I can just pass the fuck out because I don't like it. I feel like I'm dying. Like I'm like, I can't breathe. I have to focus really hard on not dying. And I need to eat. And if I go to sleep, I'm going to stop breathing. I just know it. Like that's me. Hi. I just, I'm not that person. That article you guys can find at thefix.com. Um, it's called the drinking mom syndrome. Oh, okay. But we can throw it in show notes if anybody needs it or whatever. Yep, I'll put it in. Well, one of the things that is very apparent after the crash is that none of the kids were in their seatbelts. Ah. Uh, okay. If you're a control freak, you should ah. have your kids in a seatbelt. No one was buckled into a car seat. And like we were talking about, it truly is a miracle that Brian survived at all. It would be my opinion that a devoted mom or responsible person, especially a control freak, just like Nikki was just saying, would have made sure that every single person was in a seatbelt every single time the car was put into drive. Mine are always like we don't. If my kid unbuckles themselves, I pull over and I'm like, I'm not moving until you're buckled up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I don't fuck around with that shit. You can't. You can't. We have a friend that didn't act proactively when their child unbuckled themselves, got T-boned, and their child is now dealing with a traumatic brain injury that will leave him at about a seven-year-old's level for the rest of his life. The other thing that I was thinking is that those children would have been buckled in and exponentially... uh. She would have been exponentially more cautious had she been self-medicating. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like, you know when you drive home from, like, Mimosa Bar on Sunday? Yeah. And you're like, okay, you know what? I'm right around the corner. It's fine. I'm probably right around that legal limit, so we got to, like... I don't... I'm too paranoid. I have done it twice. Times about 36. Where you... (laughs) Where we have gone to the Bloody Mary bar, or we have gone out for mimosas for brunch, and I have three, 
And then I'm like, dude, you know what? I'm probably tiptoeing around a 0.05 right now. And that's pretty, that's a sketchy ass place to be. So let's go home. You know what I mean? Like, no more mimosas. Let's fucking go. And then you're like, everybody's buckled up. Yeah, I'm like, hands it, you know, hands at 10 and 2. Check your fucking blind spots. Make sure your mirror's good. Get your fucking seatbelt on. Click your blinker. Pull out onto the road. Check your fucking rear view. Set your cruise control. Like, I don't fucking play. I don't even dare. Like, if I've had one drink at dinner, then I'm like, I'm going to eat all the food to try to soak it. I'm just, I'm too paranoid. I Because I can't handle my alcohol. Oh, well. If I have a little bit, I... I'm a, I'm an idiot. I'm a complete more like wondering. I, got, I had a mini Corona the other day and I was tipsy from a mini Corona. Wow. Yeah. That's how, that's why I don't fuck around. Pussy. I am. Pussy. Big time. Well, it would, it would lead me to believe that had somebody been smoking or drinking while they were driving, that they would have made sure that there was zero reason for an officer to pull them over or, you know what I mean? Because if you've got... You got five kids in the back of a minivan and nobody's buckled in. Then you know that people are like bouncing around, playing. You had everybody from age two to age eight, none of which are reverent in the car. No, because even my good little nine-year-old that does what she's supposed to do all the time, if she doesn't have a seatbelt on, she's standing up and moving around. Well, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. Well, so we have some theories. Do we not? Oh, we have so many theories. So many theories about the accident. But we have to touch on a few more things, okay? And then we're going to dive in. Dominic Barbara, the lawyer for Danny Schuler, gives something away in in the HBO documentary that I picked up on, thanks to Stephen David Lampley and his book, Detecting Liars. Mm -hmm. At around the 12-minute mark in the documentary, Dominic is being interviewed and answering questions about Diane and covers his mouth. And not a little bit. He, like, completely like this. Mm Mm-hmm covers his whole fucking mouth when he's answering questions. Now, the question was, well, he he started talking about whether or not he thought Diane was a drunk. He says, do I have answers for that day? No. And, but he's like, he's like, do I think the woman was a drunk? And he's like touching the side of his face and he's touching his chin. No, I don't think she was. Do I have answers for that day? No. I think he does have answers for that day. Now, just because he covers his mouth fully while he's speaking, does I mean, is that concrete evidence that Dominic Barbara was lying during his interview? No, but it is one of the most telling tells. Yeah. If you're like this, if you're like fidgeting around your mouth as you tell somebody something, you're generally telling a fib. If you cover your mouth, you're like you're subconsciously trying to. It's like a little kid. You know what I mean? When they, little kids cover their eyes because if they don't see you. Yeah, you can't see. Me. You can't see them. Same thing. And every time I learn something like this, then I do it consciously <clears throat> when I'm not lying because I'm like, oh, I think I do that anyway all the time. Like looking to the left when I'm at my therapist's office, I always look to the left and then I'm like, oh God, she thinks I'm lying. I told her, or I told you wrong. It's backwards. If we look to the left, because you're right-handed. Okay. Right-handed people look left. Yeah. I'll give you the book. Because I about- always, I have, I think I have the book. I just haven't read it. Um. No, I don't have that one. I have a di- I have a different one. Um, I always look to the left because that's my thinking way. I look to the left and I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. If I look to the right, it's because I'm like, fuck, I just look to the left and I don't want her to think that I'm telling stories. <laughs> right. 
Well, now I'm going to be touching my face. It's going to be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? So, you know, like, as I said, you know, is this concrete proof that he's lying? No, absolutely not. But if you watch somebody consistently, like, rub around their mouth or like this. They're fucking lying to you, dude. Like, did he really think that Diane? Well, that's the thing is he's like. You know, do I think that she was a closeted alcoholic and he's here and he's here and he's rubbing his face? He was, wasn't he? He totally is. And I can pull it. I know exactly where it is. I even time stamped it. I remember because that irritated me because I was like, put your hand down. You're telling a lie. Generally, when somebody does that, I mean, and he full blown, like he doesn't just like do this at the, when he taught, he says, do I have answers for that? Dude? No. He fully covers his whole fucking mouth. It drives he me insane. He does, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. So these are little things that you start to pick up on after you have the opportunity to read material like what Stephen David Lampley does, how to catch a liar, detecting liars, you know, picking up on somebody's um, physical tells and their behaviors and their gestures if they're fibbing. Yeah, dude. Like in the book that he, in Detecting Liars, it even talks about how to, uh, how to tell when somebody's lying when they're texting to you. No shit. Mm Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's not concrete proof, but as the documentary progresses, it is apparent to me that Dominic Barbara is a shady motherfucker, too. This is later proven when I learned that he had lost his license to practice law. No (laughs) shit. It was suspended for stalking and a few other abuse and harassment charges. So I think my assumptions in him being a dishonest fuckhead are likely very accurate. The other thing is, I think this lawyer had much more knowledge of what was happening in Danny and Diane's lives Then he lets on. Now, remember Danny changing his story regarding when he went to the campground at Hunter? See, first, it was, I went on Thursday. I I took my truck and my dog, and I went up Thursday, and Diane came up Friday. And then people are like, well, why did you guys not go together? And he was, you know, then several weeks later with Dominic Barbara present, it was, we went up Friday, I, I took my truck because I couldn't take my dog. Well, Diane and all five children were in the minivan. Now, remember the the role play that we did. If you put your three children and your sister's two children and your dog, which is roughly the same size as his dog, into the minivan, do you all fit? We all fit just fine. You all fit just fine. There was no reason to go separately. No, and I think, I wonder if their minivan had more seats. I can't remember what it looked like. It was I just a... saw the wreck. Did it have the captain's chairs in the middles? In the middles? Both of the middles. I think they had bench seats. Yeah, so they could, they had a little bit more room too, because mine has the captain's chairs mm-hmm. in the middle, but that's where we put the dog. But still, the dog could have sat on one of the seats. You, you, oh, for sure. She could have laid, he could have laid down on the floor and there, everybody would have fit in one vehicle. Here are, this is some other pertinent information that I need for you guys to know before we get into these theories. Joseph Becerra, New York State Police, interviewed many witnesses to the Taconic crash. Since there were dozens of calls that were placed to 911 that day, all of the witnesses were also the the same people that call in. You you know, what's your name, sir? My name is Anthony Smith. Blah, 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 blah. And you give them their personal information. HBO also interviewed the officer who interviewed people at the crash site, and the 911 calls. Mm-hmm. Every single person pretty much came up with the same conclusion, okay, as to what they said about Diane Schuler. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Royal were actually driving down the Taconic that, 
that same day and they had to swerve off the highway and go onto the shoulder to get out of her way. They were flashing their lights, honking their horn, flailing their arms inside of their car, trying to get her attention. When they looked behind them after they got out of her way, four more cars did the exact same thing. Well, what everybody said pretty much collectively was that Diane looked hyper-focused and didn't even break. People were saying it was literally as if we weren't even on the road. The minivan would round a bend, out, go out of sight, speeding southward on the northbound side of the freeway. I think I said that wrong in the beginning of the show. I think I said northbound yeah. and southbound traffic, but I knew what I meant and I said what I fucking said. So what what we know, no matter what it was, is that she was going the wrong fucking way. Wrong way. Now, when they, they see her round the bend, and it's like a, like 90 seconds later, they see a plume of smoke come off the Taconic. Every single person that was interviewed and that had talked to Joseph Becerra, the New York State officer, said that Diane was alert, steadfast, unblinking, dead pinned straight, driving like a bat out of hell. She never swerved. She never flinched or braked. And several witnesses said that they thought Diane even looked suicidal. Another piece of information that people need to consider is that a woman named Sheila, who had her last name withheld, frequented the same bar as Diane. She interviewed for an article for the New York Post that we can put that in the show notes, uh, stated that Diane was a regular at this little establishment. She always came in alone. She often drinks screwdrivers and Long Island iced teas while complaining of her poor marriage, the stress from her job, and then she would leave also alone. From all accounts... Oh, what? I was just going to inject in there when they were talking about what inject? Inject. Interject? I like inject better. Fine. Let's just put it like a shot. Anyway, how she... um, they were talking about what she does every day, all day. Mm-hmm. They never mentioned the going to the bar. You're right. They don't. So when did that happen? That happened the same time Jay was out smoking. Ah, uh, my family Because doesn't. nobody fucking knew. But really, they didn't. They couldn't have because, or they, it could be, Jesus Christ, spit it out. That could be true because her husband worked nights. She could go put her kids to bed, and even though they were young, she could have left them there and gone to the bar. She, you know what? It could have been something like, I went on my lunch break. I went right after work. You know, I went after work when I got off at five. I know that my kids are, you know, daycare daycare or whatever. Yeah. And go to the bar and then go to her mother-in-law's house. That's likely where her children were, were at her mother-in-law's house. Being watched until she got off work. So she goes to the bar. She gets a few drinks. Stop by the liquor store. Get what she needs. Go to her mother-in-law's. Get her children. Say hello to her mother-in-law. Do a few light chores for her. Go to their own house, which would explain why she was so comfortable drunk driving. Yeah. Because she did it all the time. Or drinking after having been... Driving after having been drinking. Driving with alcohol in your system. In your system. You got wrong accent. She was driving around, you know, with alcohol in his system, you know. (laughs) Anyway, the point being that she would then go home, make dinner, do all the things that you can do at home and still be drinking as you do it. I used to drink and make dinner. I used to drink and get my kids ready for bed. I used to, you know what I mean? Yeah. So at that point, you, and then, you know, her husband got up, her children went to bed, her husband got up to go to work and she would lay there by herself 
and get high and go to bed. Yeah. Or work on the house or whatever the fuck it was that Do she did. Do the laundry. Anyway, she... She would go to this bar often enough that people who were also regulars there knew her. She was literally a regular. And I think that this is why Diane felt comfortable telling them about her failing marriage, her stressful job, her annoying husband. They didn't fucking know her. They didn't know her husband. They didn't know her friends or her mother-in-law. Nobody was going to know. She could go to this bar. She could drown her problems. Catch a fucking buzz because everybody knows that if you catch a little buzz, you care a little less about a lot of things yeah and i think that she found a couple of people that were willing to listen and people that couldn't tell other people and even if they did it wouldn't matter because they didn't fucking know her and they yeah if they did she'd be like i don't go to the bar when do i have time to go to the bar when do i go to the bar so it would seem reasonable to believe that maybe she wasn't quite an alcoholic maybe she was a closeted functional alcoholic But nobody even knew that she had, like, dental issues, so why the fuck would they know she was, like, having drinks at the bar? And how the fuck would Danny really know what she was up to at night when he's like, oh, you know, like, two, three times a year she smokes the pot. Bitch, you're never home. You're at work. When she's at home, you're not around. And, like, he's paying attention to what the fuck she's doing ever. Correct. Because I bet if he's working nights, he probably sleeps all day, wakes up at, to eat dinner. So I, as long as she's home and got dinner ready. I, I guarantee you that he comes home and does a handful of things first thing in the morning and then he goes to sleep. He likely gets up around 7, 8 at night mm-hmm. and starts getting himself geared up to go to work for the graveyard. Graveyard shift is usually like 9 to 6, 10 to 8, yeah, that kind of thing. And he was a security guard, so he yeah, probably like went a, in at a like public 10. safety officer or some shit. Yeah. So like 10, I would say probably like 10, 10 to, to 8 a.m. Yeah. 10 to 6, something yeah. like that. But anyway. Um, so this is going to lead us into the possible theories of what happened. Um, the first one is from an archived Reddit thread from back in the day. Um, I've included a couple of basic theories that everybody kind of had that thought my own personal and then Nikki's going to wrap it up with hers now a lot of this is all going to be assumptions it's all going to be speculation it's all guesses and you know at this point it is what it is nobody's gonna know everybody's dead or it's Danny and Danny's taking shit to the grave he'll never let those skeletons out of his closet so here we go with theory number one which is number one number one it's Jesus take the wheel This theory fits into the timeline, but first it requires you to make several assumptions about Diane and her relationships to others. Uh, Since I'll never know her, this is all speculation and nothing factual, but let's make these assumptions anyway. Assumption number one, Diane Schuler was a mentally psychotic woman. She held it together. She masked her pain through humor, but selfishly made the decision to kill her children and whoever else she hit. But if we believe Andrea Yates exists, who can raise five children only to drown them in the bathtub, then we can apply that to Diane Schuler as well. Assumption number two, she hated both her husband, Daniel, as well as her brother, Warren Hans. I don't know if that hatred was justified or not, but she just wanted both of these men to suffer. 
Now let's get into the timeline. Diane Schuler wakes up on July 26th in pain from her tooth. She has been self-medicating herself with booze, weed, and pain pills, keeping that from her loved ones. She has driven drunk with kids in the car plenty of times before. This is nothing new. This is routine. The drive from the campground to her home is approximately three hours away, but her tooth hurts, so she's going to self-medicate. The first place she goes is McDonald's. Even though they were in separate cars, why didn't Daniel join his family? Diane uses the cover, buys the kids McMuffins, and starts the self-medicating process. Whether it's booze or weed, it begins here. Afterwards, she pulls into the infamous Sunoco, asking for pain medication, but they don't have any. But you've got that bottle of absolute vodka in the car. She continues to drink and starts to feel the effects of it. Pulls over at those rest areas to throw up. It should be noted, this from personal experience of the writer, not mine. Not me. Not Nikki. (laughs) I have been vomit level drunk while also on a fair amount of marijuana in my life. I was an absolute mess and the details from this point moving forward do not support that she was drunk and high theory. If she had crashed into a pole, a tree, or something where it was clear she was impaired and lost motor function, there would be no documentary. There would only be unresolved mystery. While I never drove in a car that in that cross-faded state, cross-faded being the slang for being drunk, and, drunk high. and high at the same time. She was drunk and high. Drunk and high. She needs to simplify. Yes, she does. Just one. <laughs> Pick one. Pick just one. Just one alteration. One will do. Just one and done. Yep. It was a struggle to make it from the living room to the toilet. Put me behind the wheel and tell me to drive in a straight line and I'm crashing into a parked car in three seconds. I know my personal mental state of being cross-faded. So for Diane to have as unsloppy as she did, points strong evidence that she was a habitual user and she could get into this mental state and still drive in a straight line. When we get to the Tappan Zee Bridge and here where everything goes um, and here's where everything goes wrong. The oldest niece in the car calls her dad Warren saying the infamous there's something wrong with Aunt Diane. Warren freaks out and immediately gets in his car to drive to the Tappan Zee Bridge and to rescue his children. He knows they're in danger. He knows there is a problem. Diane knows as well. She knows there is absolutely no way this this ends well for her. She is going to blow a .19 BAC with her two kids and three of someone else's kids in the car. Drunk driving, child endangerment, times five, sent to prison for years and have her two kids grow up without a mom. Just like she grew up without a mom and lived her life er, and lived with that pain all her life. Unacceptable. It was time for cross-faded Diane to figure out how she was going to get away with this. She leaves her cell phone on the concrete divider. No more suspicious Aunt Diane is behaving weird calls for the potential court case. First plan. Drive home as quickly as possible. Oh no, everything's okay. Nobody called the cops. The kids are safe. This means driving home immediately. Eyewitnesses say that she was determined, again, not sloppy at all, in her cross-faded state. She was aggressively driving with a purpose, not swerving all over the road, but changing lanes and treating a minivan like a Lamborghini. 
At some point, she realizes the first plan isn't going to work. Someone will know. Her brother will call the cops and demand a breathalyzer test. Drive home as quickly as possible isn't going to work. So, second plan. Essentially kidnap the kids until you sober up. Come up with some idiotic plan about leaving the phone behind, but wanting to take the kids upstate to a, a whatever. Get all the bad stuff out of your system and then come home. And eventually explain it all away. I was just trying to do something nice for your girls, so she diverts from going home to Long Island and instead takes the Taconic State Parkway north. Then eventually we get to the third plan, final plan. Second plan would still be suspicious. After those erratic phone calls, running off with her brother's children. But here's the biggest question, why the nieces? I understand that Andrea rates... I understand that Andrea Yates, I grew up without a mother and I don't want my children to do the same mindset that a psychotic woman, that a psychotic woman might have. It's awful, but it's logical. But why didn't Diane pull over to any old stupid Motel 6, kick the three nieces out and tell them to go to the lobby and call their father? There's a minuscule chance of a pedophile being at the perfect place at the perfect time. But otherwise, these girls would have been been safe. With, they would have been fine. Yeah, with their loving mother and father. You had the mental wherewithal to pull over several different times before the accident. Why not just pull over? Even right there at the Tappan Zee Bridge, at the toll bridge. There's tons of people right there. Like, including the people that work in those toll booths. Yeah, so if she drops them off at the at the hotel, right? they can go in and be like, hey. Hi, could you call 911? My aunt's acting funny and she just dropped us here. And they're going to keep them safe from yeah pedophile. Anybody. Right? One would like to think so. 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 This is where you really need to have the assumption number two. That she hated her brother. And if she was going to do this. If he was going to do this to her. Which would be send her to prison for drunk driving. Um, child endangerment. All that shit. Then she was going to do this to him. Right? Makes total sense. Sure. So final plan. Steady, unsloppy, unsloppy driving. Eyewitnesses who pull out of the way describe her face as clear and motivated. She was playing chicken and wasn't going to be the one to move. She pulls into the fast lane and puts her foot on the ignition and goes 1.7 miles. Um, drivers are defensive and alert enough to get out of the way and avoid her. She keeps driving. Jesus, take the wheel. Kids screaming in her ear to pull over and that she's going the wrong way until boom. After the accident, Daniel Schuler is beyond horrified. He feels responsible. He feels that he let her, led her down this path. So instead, he idolizes her perfect mom. She would never do anything wrong. This would have to be a mental breakdown because she wouldn't do this. His sister-in-law, Jay Schuler. She's just a nice Long Island woman wanting to defend her family, especially Brian. Brian is the key to everything. That Daniel wants the best for his son. Diane was the breadwinner of the family. And now it's just Daniel raising his son as a single child with help from his brother and Jay, of course. Mm -hmm. Admitting that Diane was culpable one way or the other. Leaves you open to all sorts of lawsuits, but keeping that reasonable doubt alive is what Daniel needs to cling to. 
There's also a telling scene where Jay snaps at the cameras, complaining about how essentially she's been the one raising Brian and Daniel just sits around doing nothing all day. No job. He was a security guard but may have lost his job due to the time off. But he can st- he still can't be a stay-at-home father and pawns off his son every chance he gets. Right. <clears throat> he can't bear the guilt of looking into his son's eyes and having to relive that accident, which he holds himself accountable for. What seems to be the prevailing story, she was so fucked up and didn't know what um, she was doing. Oopsie, I'm driving the wrong way. Doesn't make sense. I'm aware that drunk drivers have gone the wrong way down the freeway. I mean, look at the classic, you're going the wrong way scene from planes, trains, and automobiles. (laughs) You're going the wrong way. The joke is John Candy not realizing he's going the wrong way until he sees the trucks approaching head on. Once he sees the trucks approaching head on, he realizes he's made a terrible mistake. Um, Empty nighttime freeway. Okay. Mm-hmm. By comparison, if you have the video game or a video game like Grand Theft Auto or a title like that, go hop in your virtual car and drive the other way on the highway. While doing that, find some young children and have them scream in your ear, please stop, please pull over, you're going the wrong way. Drive 1.7 miles in GTA, dodging and avoiding incoming traffic with those kids screaming in your ear and telling... and um. You're telling me that this can be chalked up to a whoopsie? Driving. Whoopsie. <laughs> whoopsie. I didn't. I was so drunk. I didn't know. Oh, gosh. Should I leave him a note? <laughs> yeah. Should I leave a note? No. Driving against traffic for that long is not a lapse in judgment. It's not a momentarily mental break where you don't notice what's happening. It isn't I mixed some Xanax with some alcohol and woke up wrapped around a telephone pole. Kids are screaming in your ear, shaking you, telling you to stop. Diane knew exactly what she was doing, and I could have st- and could have stopped at any point, sending her to prison for life, but saving the other seven lives that were lost that day. Diane had an alcohol and THC-induced delirium after self-medicating for an abscessed tooth that caused her to mentally vacate and drive the wrong way into traffic and kill a shitload of people. That's That's an obvious... Like, okay, so if she wasn't a drinker and she wasn't a smoker, she self-medicated, had the delirium, died. Bye. Diane had a medical issue on top of the drinking smoking that caused her to drive into traffic. Perhaps. No. Well, but do you want to hear my theory? I'd like to hear your theory. And then you can tell me your theory. My theory isn't going to be near as put together because my thoughts are everywhere. Here is my own personal opinion. I believe that Diane was on the brink of a full mental collapse. I think she was overworked as the main breadwinner for the family. Um, I think we forgot to discuss this earlier, but it, it was said in several news pieces and interviews for the documentary that Danny didn't want children. Nope. And he was actually very angry with Diane because now he was a single parent and this is his life and I didn't even want kids. I didn't even want kids and now I'm raising a kid by myself that has brain issues basically from... trauma. Yeah. Well, Danny didn't want to have children's. No children's for him. They were together for seven years. Didn't have kids. 
And I don't think that was because they were doing the get to know you phase. Mm-mm. I think it's because he didn't want to have children. Now, in another interview slash news piece that I found, um, one of the Schuler brother or sisters said that Danny had made negotiations with Diane. Okay, if you want a baby, I'll put a baby in you, but you are going to be the one that takes care. You are the main caregiver. You get up in the middle of the night. You change the diapers. You do the potty training. You do everything. Like and, you already you do. S- but you still have to take care of me, so don't uh-huh. forget about that part. Right. Um, and I think that was the only reason that Diane was able to talk Danny into having a child is that she was going to absorb anything. Anything parental was going to be her. Uh-huh. Um, I think she... Got to a point where she was the main caregiver and parent as well. I think Diane was suffering a failing marriage. And as the control freak, she was not in control of this. And thus drowning in her own miserable existence. Mm -hmm. I think she didn't want anybody to know at all. Not what was going on with her, her marriage, the job, nothing. When people know too much about you, even little stuff becomes ammunition. Oh yeah, for sure. And she doesn't want that against her perfect little no. thing she's <clears throat> This little built. perfect empire she's pretending to have. I think that... Um, I think that if there was anything that would allude to the fact that she wasn't in control and happy and successful, she wanted to erase that completely from her life. Like, if there was any indication, you know what I mean, whether it's a toothache to... You know, the kids' clothes not being perfectly starched and pressed. You yeah. Know? She's like, ah, that would, that tells people that I'm lazy and that I'm not a good, ho- that I'm not a good mom. Like if my kids go to school and they have wrinkled clothes, it makes me look bad. People are going to know. She probably like stain guards all of their clothes and shit. Right. They don't, I don't want you to have stain on the front of your shirt. Well, on top of all that, I feel like Danny was less than zero help with anything. It seems to me like... Much like his mom said, that he was just an overgrown child. And I think he was having an affair with Jay. Now, this is his brother's wife. And perhaps I am 100 full of shit on this. 100% full of shit. But there are a handful of behaviors and conversations that lead me to believe that there was a relationship there that was not innocent as a brother and sister, even brother, sister-in-law, should have been. Hmm. Now... When they are seen in the documentary clutching one another's hand at that press conference, it is a very intimate gesture. Um, I can understand being present and I can understand being supportive and I can understand helping your family because that's what family does. At no point am I going to caress my brother-in-law and hold his hand and rub his leg. That shit ain't, but no. I wouldn't even with my sister-in-law. Well, I'm just not that kind of person, though, but anyway. But I just, but. You d- I don't know. And maybe it's just me because I wouldn't do it, that I found it to be weird. Um, the other thing is that she then takes on the role of mother and apparently housewife in a completely separate household. Mm-hmm. She has her own husband. She has her own children. She has her own job that she works 10 to 12 to 14 hours, you know. And then goes and helps out at that household. That, to me, is the commitment you make to somebody that you have feelings for. Yeah. The other part of this, um, I think that Diane knew that her husband was cheating on her. 
And I think the only reason that he had not filed divorce or left her was because he didn't have the money. You likely make 12 to 15 bucks an hour as a graveyard uh, public safety guy, right? I'm sure he could get some. Oh, and he couldn't get alimony because he had a job. He had a job. Um, He's not going to get to keep the house. He's not going to get to keep the vehicles that are in Diane's name. He's not going to have the money to live the lifestyle that he wants to live with his fucking... And he might have to pay her a little bit of child support, too. And he's going to have to pay child support. So I really think that he stayed there for the financial aspect. I think the lawyer knew they were on their way to divorce as well. But for whatever reason, Dominic wanted to portray this perfect family thing. So that perhaps people wouldn't... I don't know. I, I People wouldn't look at him like pieces of shit in their community. And I think that that's like a big thing in that area is like you want to look good and make your family look good. We don't have squabbles. We don't have scandals. We don't have drama, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, I think he instructed Danny to change his story about when he went to camp so people didn't know that they went separately or wouldn't realize they went separately. Um, I think that he knew that his client's marital issues, um, I think he knew all about him and I think he knew about drinking issues as well. Now, Danny had gotten a DUI just a few years, like, prior to this. So the drinking culture was there. It existed, like... If there's bottles of vodka in your camper, if you have a DUI, if your wife has a friend that she vents all of her problems to at some dive bar around the corner from her job, like, the drinking culture exists. Yeah. Um, But I think that Dominic Babara knew that Danny wanted to file divorce and leave his wife. And I think that, and like I said, this is all speculation. Go watch that fucking, go watch that documentary. Now I need to go watch it again. When they talk to one, like they don't, you don't ever see them interact together. Dominic and Danny. Like you see Dominic like introduce his client and then Danny takes over, but you don't ever see them sitting side by side or, you know what I mean? Like together no. doing interview stuff. Cause you see Jay and him together. Don't yeah. You? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, I don't know. It's just very odd, but no. Why do you have to bring up new shit? Now I'm like, ah. I know. But here's my thing is just based on what I'm seeing. And like I said, this is all personal opinion, speculation. You know, I'm making shit up as I go. But go watch that documentary and read some of these um, articles that are in the show notes. And you'll you'll see where I'm I'm getting at. And I might be full of shit. But um, I think Diane was a habitual drinker and smoker. I do not think she had a med- medical emergency. I do not. No, I don't either. But rather, she drank and smoked in excess today, in excess on that day, to bolster her courage to kill herself. And here's why. She was going to take the kids with her. She knew that Danny didn't want kids. She knew that he wasn't going to be a good single father. He never wanted kids. So she wasn't going to leave them there with him. Um, Again, like the other guy said, I don't think she wanted her children to grow up without a mother. So taking them with me i'm gonna kill myself i'm gonna drink all this booze i'm gonna smoke all this pot and i'm just gonna peg myself whatever how you know onto the freeway and crash into somebody um so she was gonna end her misery and take the kids but why did she take her nieces too well remember when we were talking about diane being able to hold a grudge 
And then if, she, yep. if you, so could it have been something like Warren was difficult when they were kids and she held a grudge? Was she jealous and holding a resentment because they had three children? She only had two and they seemed to have this great, wonderful marriage. And she was very jealous because she didn't have those things. Um, you know, Warren and his wife started having children fairly quickly. You know what I mean? Like they had been together re- relatively as long as, um, Diane and Danny, but they had three kids and their oldest was already eight. You know, their oldest was five and they had had two in 13 years, you know, kind of a thing. Um, So was she jealous? Was she resentful of that? Was there something that happened between her and Warren that we don't know about that she held a grudge? And he was like, she, you know, maybe she decided that was one last fuck you to her brother. Like, oh, your perfect fucking family, your three beautiful kids? Not anymore. Mm. So the other thing that I think could have been the issue is that when you start to drink and smoke, maybe more drinking than smoking, but when you start to alter yourself, you can either be a happy-go-lucky, drunken high person, or you can sit and stew and dwell and let yourself become consumed by the sadness and the you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and I think that that is exactly what happened and she was like fuck it that I'm going out John Bon Jovi dude plays a glory type shit um Jackie and Diane were really close little ditty about Jack and Diane two American kids kids growing up up in in West Babylon (laughs) Um, in baby lawn, baby lawn. So those two are really, really close. And it's not like Diane didn't have permission from Jackie to take the kids. And it wasn't uncommon for her to be allowed to have the children when the parents weren't, weren't around. Um, they went out for the weekend. They were supposed to be home by one o'clock. They called and said they were going to be late. My kids sounded great until... She was like, I never would have, in the memoir, I, I would have chained myself to the front of the car before I let her drive drunk with my kids. Yeah, because she trusted her. And So, but here is Jackie and Warren both admitted that they didn't really know what was going on with that side of the family. So they didn't know that there were any sort of hiccups or problems or that, you know. So maybe, maybe she took the kids because they were unfortunate pawns. Maybe she was so, maybe she was upset. She got fucked up, decided to kill herself, take her kids. Three nieces were along for the ride. And while, as she's drinking and she's stewing and thinking and stinking, she remembers something that Warren did in 1997 that really, you know, fuck him. Maybe she had some sort of grudge. Maybe she didn't. But we talked about you do it, 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 you do it. Yep. And I think that she had a nervous breakdown. Um, I think that she 100% knew what she was doing. I believe she was in so much mental anguish that she didn't care who she took with her, which is why the Bastardis and the Longo men went too. Um, I think that she drank until she knew she could complete the task. And then she executed her murder-suicide plan, leaving no trace of why, and here is why. She was still in control mm-hmm. till she took her last fucking breath. She was in control 
of what she could be in control of. That means the car. She had their lives in her hands. She was in control. Fortunately, Brian Schuler was able to get some therapy and some mental help after a series of behavioral issues became too much for Danny. Prior to this, Danny had made it very clear that he didn't intend to seek professional help for his son. He instead advised that the counselors and the teacher at the school were doing enough. Which I think, negatory, but <clears throat> those are teachers, not therapists. Danny Schuler, during the tenure of his time on the HBO documentary, seemed pretty shut off to anything except anger. And coming from a person that is always fucking angry, dude, sort your fucking self out. Like, mm -hmm. deal with your emotions. I realize, I realize life is tough, but you need to sort yourself out. He's obviously unraveling. He's very overwhelmed and frustrated. He had no answers, no money, no idea how to care for his son. How the fuck would he? He hadn't done anything. Like, how do you... Other than, like, throw Pop-Tarts at it and make it shit in the bowl and flush afterwards, like, what does he really know about raising a child? Nothing. He didn't want kids. And he did yeah, and he... He didn't participate. Never helped. He didn't give a fuck. So now he has this five, six-year-old boy that I think he was about eight years old when... No, nope. He was, like, six in that documentary because it was done... No. He was five, wasn't he? He was five at the time oh, of the accident. six in the documentary, yeah. Cause I it think was it was six. Right after, mm -hmm. wasn't it? Because it aired in 2011, and I think they filmed it yeah. in 2010. But, you know, for six years, five, six years, you didn't do fuck all or nothing. You didn't nope. even know your son's favorite food. Did you know his name? Probably only because it was on some of his stuff. And I bet he didn't know it, for real, probably didn't know his birthday. Uh, it was a struggle, I'm sure. And the, you know, it just really frustrates me because... It doesn't take much to be a good parent. It really doesn't. Nope. It just fucking doesn't. So It's a lot of work to be a parent. It is a lot of work to be a parent. But to be a present... All you, all you gotta do is listen. Yeah. Little kids just want you to love them. Hold me. Sit down and attention. color with them. Yeah. yeah. To, well... Yeah. To do... If she's doing all of this... All of the necessary stuff... Doing all the parenting. For him to be a good parent on the other side is really wouldn't be that hard. Literally give them some time. Sit down and talk to them. Read them stories. Yeah, you're right. You're right there. <sighs> it's it's kind of heartbreaking when you think when I think about it. And it's very frustrating because it does like I said, it doesn't take much to be a good parent, but the really important thing to remember about children is that when you take away the things that make them most comfortable, they tend to be more and more difficult. Um, and that's exactly what Danny wanted to do. Like, he didn't want his son to cry. He didn't want him to have, like, sit and talk about pictures of his mom and his sister. Like, he started taking away comfort things. Just to be a dick? I know because he didn't want his son to talk about emotions. Like, don't cry. Oh, yeah. What good is crying going to do? They're dead. They're they're gone. Don't cry about it. Like you When me. you're dead, you're dead. You're dead, you're dead. They're dead. What are we going to do? Is your crying going to bring them back? No, so stop. Exactly. Well, 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 well. Uh, this is where Jay Schuler, his sister-in-law, has been stepping in to help. Jay indicated that she is at her wit's end with Danny. And expressed her frustrations when she snaps at the camera and she's like, he doesn't even fucking do anything. Now, like I said, maybe it's a culture thing. Maybe it's how they were brought up. But stepping into a household and basically filling the shoes of your dead sister-in-law seems way fucking off to me. But Brian 
who sustained that traumatic brain injury left him with an eye deficit. He needs constant exercise and attention. And I think he, obviously the kid needs much more than what his dad is going to provide. So for that, I guess like it's, I'm glad that she stepped in that way. Um, he's, you know, during the documentary, Brian was struggling with his emotions, which is to be expected. Obviously. Um, but it was really hard because, you know, Danny was trying to suppress all of Brian's emotional tender moments, you know, and you need that. Like, that's yeah. how people grieve, you know, well, and have something positive to hang on to for the rest of his little life. Your turn. For my theory. It's my yeah. turn for my theory. Yep. Well, okay, you you basically talked about my theory, but I'm going to put it all in together to one. Okay. My theory, I do not think that he was having an affair with Jay. Okay. I think Jay's a people pleaser, and she's, she's doing the people pleasing. She's taking care of him as her benefit, because I think she's a lot like Diane. She wants... Not a lot like Diane. She's a yes person. She saw that he needed help, so she swooped in to help him after after Diane died. However, I think that Diane lost her shit. I think she was having a mental break. I think that she was like, fuck this. I'm done. I don't want to do it anymore. I don't care who I have to take with me, but this is what's going to happen, and I'm definitely not leaving my children here with their father that doesn't want them. Right. And, um, yeah, I think she was on a suicide mission. She knew what she was doing. She did drink and smoke until she had the courage to actually do it because I don't think that, I, I don't think that she could have done that sober or, you know, in her right mind. But I do think that she was a drinker and could handle quite a bit more than the average Joe. Obviously. Obviously, because... She wasn't swerving, like they said. She mm-hmm. wasn't swerving. So she wasn't impaired. I think she was... Not the way that people think she was. And maybe on the camping trip, maybe he found out how much she drinks because they were actually together and she couldn't hide it. And maybe that's when... Maybe they had an altercation on the camping trip and she was like, fuck you, I'm done. Da- you know, I'm out. I'm done. We're done with this. Maybe and that's when she decided she was done. I got this fucking tooth. I got this fucking husband. I'm done. I will take whoever. I don't think I don't think she had any kind of grudge against her brother. I, I think those kids were just an innocent. They I, were just part of the the plan. She had the opportunity to stop and let the girls out, though. I don't think she cared, though. At that point, she was in such a crazy state. Mm-hmm. That she was done, and if she stopped, maybe she would talk herself out of it, and then all of oh, those maybe. other things could happen. But I think she just, you know, after she stopped, couldn't get the stuff for a tooth. That could have just set her off. That could have been the last straw. Like there's, maybe. they don't have shit for my tooth. Fuck this. I'm so sick of this. I'm sick of that. I'm sick of everything. I'm done. If you look on the timeline, she did that at like 10 something in the morning. Mm-hmm. She didn't start like getting weird until afternoon. Yeah. But maybe, maybe that was the event that triggered the 
collapsed. The domino. kids are in the back. Oh. She's got the kids by herself. They're mm-hmm. all being noisy. Everybody under eight years old that gets noisy. That's not just a regular drive for three hours in the car. Um, you know. Mm-hmm. Snap, snap, crackle, pop. We're done. She pulls over and gets sick. Maybe, maybe she started having withdrawals and pulled over and got sick. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe she was trying to prove that she doesn't drink. <clears throat> I don't know. But the I, fact... If she... I don't I don't know. She she may have, like, gotten the shakes. Like, if you were talking about her being an alcoholic and was going through withdrawals, if she drank the night before, she had a drink first thing in the morning. And yeah. so by 10 o'clock in the afternoon, yeah, you'd be ready for a drink. Which would explain why she had 10 unprocessed shots in her belly. Because you'd be drinking in an attempt to get to a level that you're not shaking, that you're not convulsing, that you're not, you know what I mean? Yeah. But if she was driving that straight with that much in her belly, she's clearly a seasoned drinker. Mm -hmm. I don't think she's a full, like, well, there's different, there's different alcoholics. So I don't think she was the kind that drank all day, every day to function. I think she was the kind that drank every night, you know, stayed sober for work but drank at night type situation so she could she could handle quite a bit more booze yeah i don't know that's that's my final my final thought is that she just broke and she had all of that in her system because she was using all of it to maintain but then used a little extra to get the liquid courage to i i really think uh, and i just feel like I don't know. There's something about the way that Danny and Jay interact with each other and how little Jay's husband was present or around or had anything to do with his wife. I can't I can't figure that one out because That's why I I get the impression that there was an affair there. I what I could I could be wrong. I can't decide because there's 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 yes people that will jump in and do because that's what they do. They see they see the fish flopping. Right. But does that mean hold hands, caress backs, rub your yeah, shoulders, that part's touch your weird. thigh? That part's like, weird, but I'm not a touchy person, so mm, eh. Oh, that to me just feels weird. But but yeah, I keep forgetting about that part cuz that's So, the the one thing uh, the, in regards to Danny and Jay, Danny had told Jay that he had not yet forgiven Diane for leaving him a single parent. And Jay, when she's like, you know, yeah, we're all mad at Diane right now. Are we? Well, that, that's what well, Jay said. I'm, like, we're all upset. We're all mad. We're all like, you don't have to forgive her right now. Like, blah, blah, that's blah. That's true. They kill, she, she murdered their kids basically. So yeah, you can be mad at her. Well, he's more mad that he didn't, she didn't successfully kill both. Yeah, that she left him with a kid, not uh-huh. that she's dead. Yeah, uh, right, right. But he, you know, he, I didn't want to be a parent, and, and this is my life now, and this is where I'm left, and now I have to raise this kid, and I didn't want this kid, and, you know, this kid has a TBI, and he's special needs now, and blah, 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 which, by the by, that kid is actually like, 16 17 now so danny had actually told uh told jay 
You know, Diane was the boss. She was supposed to handle all of it, like finger quotes, all of it. Um, from the sounds of it, she had been doing that for quite some time. And that was like the contributing factor mm-hmm. is that she had been doing everything, 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 everything for her, for her kids, for her husband, for at work, at, you know, everything. <clears throat> She'd been doing it all. I think... When things start to surface like your wife was fucking crossfaded as shit, she killed a bunch of people, she drove pinned and purposed into a fucking moving vehicle that held innocent people, and the Bastardi women that interviewed regarding the loss of their father and their brother both came to the conclusion, if I ever talk to that man, I'm going to ask him, what did you do to her? That caused her to snap. Exactly. Well, and he's, okay, she's making most of the money. She's taking care of everybody and everything. She makes him a fucking snack before he goes to work. Right. What the fuck? Like, who wouldn't snap at that? Who wouldn't? After 13 years of taking care of literally everything and everyone, I don't know. I just kind of feel like... That's why Danny is so insistent that something medical happened. She wasn't drunk and high because she, she, she was drunk and high. She was self-medicating for something. And, and then, you know, if she was having a mental collapse that I contributed to, that makes me a bad guy. So that couldn't possibly have been yeah. what happened. She had a medical emergency, something medical. It's his guilt. He's trying to yes. prove he's gone so far like that, mm-hmm. that, um, press conference he's going so far to try to put put it on something else or somebody else because he doesn't want it to land on him because he feels the guilt because he knows it was him oh yeah he worked a nighttime security job where he probably didn't do shit at night there probably fucking nothing happened wherever he was because he's that lazy he picked something chill right while she did fucking everything everything um i also think that he I think he knew that he uh, took his wife for granted and overloaded her. Yeah. He knew. Yeah, he did. And he he didn't care until other people were going to know, too. It's kind of like when you beat your wife. Yeah. It's fine as long as nobody knows. Yeah. But. And then when something happens, I'm going to look like a saint. Exactly. I'm going to make this woman a saint so I look like a saint. Because if she looks bad, I look bad, and I'm It was I'm a still medical here. condition. <laughs> she natural caused behind the wheel of her car. She did. She natural caused. It's now natural causing that's getting everybody. Uh, natural causing. Danny Schuler subsequently sued some people following the crash. Three people, to be exact. Uh, he sued the state of New York for improper signage of the off-ramp which was marked with wrong way and do not enter on the off-ramp and the on-ramps. Off-ramp. That's what she wanted to go off. Uh, He then sued Warren and Jackie Hance for vicarious liability since they owned the minivan that Diane crashed. Yeah, you heard me. You see that fucking face you're making? She just killed their kids and now let's sue them. He sued the brother-in-law and sister-in-law whose entire legacy was killed 
by his wife in their minivan. So the Hans family filed a countersuit. Like you do. I uh, would. I'd so be like, I. fuck me, no, fuck you. Fuck me? No. No. Fuck you. Uh, well then, as, you know, family has it, the Bastardi and Longo families then sued the Danny and Diane Schuler estate. Now, all suits have been settled out of court or dismissed. Here is something that I learned. Wait, you skipped the part where he what? sued Thomas Ruskin. Oh, yeah, failure sorry. failure to complete the work he was paid to do. Yes, sorry. Thank you for... Thank sorry. you, thank you. No, you're fine. Welcome to Color Me Dead. You're fine. You're fine. No, you're good. You're good. It's fine. Uh, so the part that I wanted to discuss was I later found out that in order to receive maximum insurance benefit from somebody, you have to sue to get it. Like the insurance company will make you sue. Oh. So people will sue the insurance company, not the person. Right? Okay. But I think, and I think that that's what was happening when Danny sued the Hanses for vicarious liability or whatever. And then they would have to sue him in order to get money. Like, yeah. And I don't know. Well, so perhaps that was part of it. But I think there were some civil suits all over the place as well. Um, I know that the Hans family doesn't speak to or have anything to do with any of the Schulers. They send uh they send like letters and cards and gifts to Brian. Send yeah. them. Yeah. But they don't get to see him. They don't have anything to do with him. So there is that. Um as of 2011, Danny Schuler is still insisting that Diane's body be exhumed and another autopsy be done to prove it. Uh, to prove that he's a total nut, I guess, uh, to prove that the autopsy says that she didn't have a blood clot that passed through her fucking brain to say that she wasn't a diabetic and that her blood sugar was really low to say that anything but what it says. He has not yet received the permission necessary to exhume and... So there's that. Because he hasn't paid the money to have it done. Well, That's what it is right there. And probably it's like $500 to dig a body. And then the autopsy to exhume and actually do the, the additional autopsy is thousands and thousands of dollars. But at this point, like, there is no point. At this point, there is no point. Your wife was drunk and high. And I, I think he knows that. <gasps> oh, he does. He just wants to keep putting on this show. I think that if he had disposable income in order to do all of this shit, he 100% would have had Diane's poor body yanked out of the dirt and re, like, re-examined and hacked open and all sorts of shit just to make it look like he really does believe that she had some kind of medical something. Wasn't the drugs, wasn't the alcohol, wasn't the fact that I'm a piece of shit, wasn't the fact that my wife was at the wi- at the end of her poor little pitiful rope. Because of me. Because I pushed her. Exactly. So, here we are. Um, Jackie Hans, following the death of her three children, suffered a 
<clears throat> trauma-based amnesia for a length of time following. She had to be told daily that her daughters were dead and had to relive their deaths over and over again. Eventually, she was able to recover. Her marriage found a new hope when she and Warren decided they were going to reverse her tubal ligation and try for another child. Oh, God. They were successful, and they had a daughter, Casey Rose. Um, this is all part of the memoir I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. The, each one of her the letters of her name stand for a sister. And the Y stands for you. Oh. I can't, I'm going to have to look it up now. Anyway, she, they put their, they made her name out of like the initials of her sister and her sisters and shit. Oh. So at the end of the day, just going to do it like Shatner. I'm going to close it up with some shat. A little shat. Shat. To end it. There is zero evidence that Diane Schuler intentionally killed herself, <clears throat> her children, or her nieces. There is zero evidence that Diane Schuler experienced any sort of medical emergency that would have caused her to drive into oncoming traffic. There is zero evidence of addiction or alcoholism. There is literally zero at the end of this to support anything. Just that she had it in her system. Just that it was in her system, and then drive wrong way, everybody dies. That's it. That's all you know. For certain, that is all you get to know. Yeah. There's. Yeah. That's. That's all there is that we know. Boop 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 boop. Done. Done. That's it. Now you get to be equally as disgusted and frustrated with us. I mean, it maybe this might not be like Jean Benet Ramsey level irritation on Unsolved, but what what are you gonna do with this information now? Nothing. Same thing as everybody else. Fucking nothing. S- yeah, sit and think about it more and more, and come up with more theories and. Whatnot. Goddamn Carol Baskin. Carol Baskin. That bitch killed her husband. Whacked him. Fed him to tigers. They snack him. Oh, my God. Well, so if you guys are interested, you can go check out some shit by <clears throat> HBO called Something's Wrong with Aunt Diane. If you're interested in getting the book Detecting Liars, you can get that from Amazon or Stephen David Lampley's website. Um, there was a post by the New York TheNewYorkPostToday.com and TrueCrimeStory.com. No, TrueCrimeStoryTime.wordpress.com. Yes, that. Yes. Yeesh. So maybe, uh, maybe check on your friends more. And, uh, damn. Stay out of chalk lines. Goodbye. I like how you look at me. Damn.